Hey, this is former WWE superstar and ECW original, The Blue Meanie. And you're listening to me on BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Turn Triple on BBGWrestling.com. I am Pablo and with me is the Michael Hayes to my <laughs> Sir, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, it's Tempest, hello. Hello. We're in the same room. Ah, you know, imagine that. It's um, only been like a year. <laughs> um, officially. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, how are you doing? You alright? Hi, I'm out. Um... This is our second show. We haven't been kicked off the air yet, and uh, our last show was uh, was a success. Everyone seemed to enjoy it. There was a lot of feedback. Uh, what feedback did you get for the show? Uh, generally, the feedback was pretty positive. There was a lot of people who were realising they'd not seen the Nitro and maybe actually should. <laughs> and we were posed a pair of questions, one which is probably better for me and one which is definitely better for you. Okay. The first question, which was asked by James Tiller, he said... Mania 17 is generally considered the best mania of all time. Where does it sit for you personally? Oh, um, probably just because of tastes. Not in the top five, but I do understand why it's generally considered the greatest mania. Because for me, it's, um, it's the culmination of all the good stuff from the Attitude Era. Like, mm. DOA weren't on this event. <laughs> you know um, yeah no and and they just started their influx of ECW names uh, you know the best of what WCW had to offer as well with Benoit etc before the invasion mm. um, and also the culmination either the culmination or the continuation of a lot of really good storylines is like um, and it was the first event really where they started to look back on themselves and do the gimmick battle royal and all that kind of stuff so the, that's the thing I like there there, there was something for everyone, um, and it like I said, and for I guess someone like me, it was finally acknowledging their past, mm-hmm. like you know, mm-hmm. um, and some of the gimmicks. Was that the that first I, time they really did that? Um, to that level, yeah. I mean, certainly having like them on screen, mm-hmm. um, and especially as something like a WrestleMania as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think Dunk would get a mention every so often, but any time the dumpster Drossy got mentioned, it was usually like, <laughs> "Oh, we used to have a garbage man wrestling." What what were we thinking? And <laughs> and I guess the match was a bit of what were we thinking, but like <laughs> in a fun way, though. in a fun way. So yeah, no, it it probably wouldn't be in my top five only because of taste and because of the ending. Um, <laughs> the ending does not get some like for me. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, if I had a top five. Top three certainly fourteen, uh, ten would be in there. Which has fourteen? I can never do the the Tyson one. The Tyson one. The Tyson one. That was a pretty good one. Um, you know, I love, I love nine, but again, that's very much down to personal tastes. Uh, You can't argue against Mania three. Um, yeah. So Mania seventeen would certainly, if not the top five, top six. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough then. And the other question we were asked from Ellen in Durham was something of a murder mystery. And I thought I'd better answer this one. It was, who killed WCW? (laughs) Now, I know people always like to speculate about, you know, like, was it Bischoff? Was it Hogan? Was it Russo? But in reality, 
creative decisions and creative process doesn't kill wrestling companies. For example, WWE are probably the most financially viable they've ever been right now. And anything I've seen, granted, not a lot, but the creative's pretty horrible. And like, I mean, last time I saw anything of it, there was some augmented reality of like birds flying out <laughs> of Matt Riddle's arse or something like that. And like, uh, to me, if WCW had done something like that, I'd think, fuck, just kill them now. Just put the bullet <laughs> in the head. But yeah, they're incredibly successful monetarily. We look at Impact conversely. Impact are my favourite company to watch at the moment from a creative standpoint. Uh-huh. Story writing, great talent and what have you. Um, their ratings are absolutely shit and they've got no money. Some of that, it comes down to the way a business is run as a business and granted WCW weren't run very well either. But to give an example, like, I have a lot of history of watching TNA and Impact and I have a lot of goodwill towards the company. But then... I get shit on by Impact themselves on various occasions when I've tried to sort stuff out. So it's like, at Christmas, I bought a bunch of merch that was like, some for Bob, some for Scott, some for Jess. Like, none of it arrived, and I had to go through a rigmarole to get it refunded. Just the other day, Jess bought these two, like, Lucky Dip bags. They were like this cool blue gym bag, and it said you would get a random selection of two T-shirts and a selection of one of the caps. From a UK warehouse, so? Uh, I would assume so, but it was it was the Impact Euro store, like it was their right. real store. Right. And um, the, the bags came, and they were not only shitly made, but they were bright yellow. <laughs> like, no one's going to go wandering in with a bright yellow gym bag. Uh, her hat could only have looked sillier if it had a propeller on the top. It was like some cheap blue hat with just impact, like, scrawled on it, like, proper airbrushed. It wasn't anything like the nice TNA one that I've got on that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and, and it's a mystery bag, so you don't get to see... You have no idea. <laughs> Out of the T-shirts, we both got one that just had impact written on them in the Union flag, so oh, it wasn't that random. Yeah. They'd clearly been like, you get two, but one of them's a shite one. Mm. And the other hat, which was in mine, which I gave her because it was quite nice, was made with the label stitched on upside down. You don't. It's like, <laughs> what what are you doing with their, with their network? It's already pretty horrible to navigate, but you don't expect it to be as good as the WWE one, cause money. Mm-hmm. But then, like, there was a time where you had, recently you had to sign up again, even though you were already signed up. And I was like, all right. And then me and her went to watch Hardcore Justice the other night, and we had to miss it in the end, despite staying up for it, because then we tried to put it on the telly, and it was like, oh, you've got no membership. And then I went onto it, and it was like, you have this paid-for membership. And I was like, right. And then we went to play it again, and it was like, no, you need a membership. So I went to try and update that to put a new one that said this must be um, handled on your, the Android device that you set it up with. Uh, and cool. Went looked at the Android device, put through a subscription through Google Play instead, and, <laughs> and then we went back to the TV. And it was just like, you can only watch this on your Android device. I was like, why is this so shit? We have so much goodwill. Like, that's the sort of thing that kills companies. Like, we all want, we are staying up to watch a pay-per-view and we can't because you're such a useless sack of shit and we're, and we're like <laughs> badly made or wrongly delivered merch while <laughs> we watch it. And to I've gone around the houses there a little bit. <laughs> but WCW is closed because Turner executives for a long time have thought it was beneath them to have some dumb white trash shit like this, but Ted Turner's protected it. To cut a long story short, they are merging with AOL. Ted no longer has his power 
to like say let's keep it going so the program is cancelled programming sorry is cancelled at very short notice and therefore Connie, the chick from those AOL adverts who jumped out your <laughs> telly, killed WCW. <laughs> do you think if it hadn't lost 80 million, though, do you think they were still making money? I'm glad you said that. Um, I, th- I actually think the number was 60 million. Which is, <laughs> well, it's, it's, come on. Let, let, let's get there, though. Let's get there. <laughs> okay. What you have to understand with WCW, and if you read the... There's a book called something like Nitro, The Fantastic Rise and Inevitable Fall, and it's got a ridiculously long title. Probably longer than WCW's actual <laughs> tenure. But anyway, uh, Guy Evans, the guy who wrote it, uh, it's a great read, by the way, if anyone, if you want to read it. It's one of my favourite wrestling books I've read so far. Yeah. He goes into detail and spoke to a lot of the different people at Turner about how the money was made and how the accounting was done. Now, at Turner, the accounting was pretty weird. So, for example... You look at companies like AEW and WWE right now, the bulk of their money comes from their TV deals. Pretty well-known fact. Mm-hmm. WCW got no money for their TV deal because they're owned by TBS. Mm-hmm. So immediately, there's millions and millions you're not making. You aren't paid anything for the TV show not that you have to pay to make. Internationally, though. I mean, I mean we're potentially. We had, T- had TNT over here, but I mean, they moved to Bravo, which I thought was quite an odd... I thought that was odd. And then he, but then there's the Channel 5 deals and all that kind of stuff, like which I found even more but odd. Then, well, I was going to say, you, you could make money on your own commercial deals, mm. but your TV in America, you make nothing for. Yeah. On top of that, money that you earned through pay-per-view didn't go on to WCW. It went on to Turner Home Entertainment. So immediately, when you've got no money coming in for TV revenue... Mm-hmm. and you've got no money coming in to you directly from the pay-per-views, it looks even worse than it is. So that money would be offset a lot. You have to also look at, like, if you watch WCW in 2000, Russo is trying to do some of the wild shit that they did with, like, Stone Cold. You know, like, the kind of... I remember there was a roar where a load of concrete got poured in a Corvette or something like that. Yeah. He's constantly, like, smashing shit up, and they're having, like, <laughs> hardcore fights where... They're really entertaining, but you know, like all those Norman Smiley matches, I absolutely love them, but they're permanently smashing shit up backstage that they then have to pay that venue for and stuff like that, so you're just losing money hand over fist like that. Ah. But as I say, the bizarre nature of Turner Accounting made that look a hell of a lot worse than it is. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you, we've been watching a lot of uh, Impact recently. Has that kind of been your main thing over Mania Week? You've been watching a lot of Impact. Well, I intended to watch this pay-per-view <laughs> on the night of Mania, but I still haven't bloody seen it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We're cashing in on Mania by, of course, reviewing the early shock on Saturday nights. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this 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 does go towards a Mania period, doesn't it? It's in uh, that, is, that is true. It, it, it crosses the Royal Rumble. That is true. Well, um, see, my, my week this week, uh, obviously Mania, but... I'll be honest, a lot of it just kind of washes over me now, and sometimes you get, like surely into this match or whatever and it's just like I'll be honest if I've got no um, what's the word sort of investment in a match mm. then I'll watch it as a spectacle but it doesn't really you know and I kind of watched it because it was funny because of the rain and uh, you know Michael and Samoa Joe wearing, wearing bin bags <laughs> and that's Jesus <laughs> like, I felt for them there like it's a um, danger with outdoor events they're lucky that that hasn't happened on more of them really that's right. I wish it would just snow one time I think that'd be really fun that'd um, be bizarre and, but where, where, was it, where was this one? it was in Florida I was going to say storms sure. thing, you know um, <laughs> So yeah, no. So the, the storms in April in Florida. I never knew that happened. I know. <laughs> so the, um, 
but the the thing with Mania Week is even for like, I'm not a jaded fan because I don't got me wait like just complain about stuff. But there's something mm. for someone who doesn't watch it much anymore. So like I enjoyed all the figure reveals, all the brand new action figures, and we'll definitely go into that at some point on a. How long is Mania? If they like reveal oh, toys about. during the show? <laughs> no, that that wasn't during the show. That was just on the website. So like it's a uh-huh, whole. Right. It's a whole. You know how they did like fan fests and all that kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there isn't that live they do it online instead right, so like interviews right, of wrestlers right, okay, etc yes, so I enjoyed yes. I enjoyed all the new dollies being shown <laughs> um, we'll get into that at some point I'm sure and um, I, I kind of enjoyed the whole of him but my highlight in, I did not well <laughs> I had I had particular highlights um, and the main one for me was um, even though I, I'm not keen on the legacy wing because I don't think it even knows what it is. I, I think actually it's a bit uh, tokenist. Like they have to get a black person in. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't even ma- if they've got the wrong photo and they don't know who she is. <sighs> well, and they don't contact the family. There's one that. Of the most disgraceful disrespect of women, black people, and wrestling history in general. I don't even. Because <laughs> well, disrespect to me means that they did it on purpose. I just think disrespect's not asking the family and not caring enough to do a quick Google image search to see if this is the fucking person that you're putting in the Hall of Fame. What I love though is that um what was on it oh, that's really bad, isn't it? Like I can't remember anything. Fuck it. Don't mind. <laughs> but the you know, the thing is though, she was arrested from the fifties and she was uh, Ethel Johnson. Yes it was and, Ethel um Johnson. but and they used Sandy Parker instead. Mm. And they were like Ethel Johnson, big in the fifties and stuff like that. What before colour television? Like here's three things we don't care about: wrestling, <laughs> women, and black people. Get in the legacy win. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the thing is, they were like, "Here's someone from the fifties. This is before colour television, but the footage they use is colour footage <laughs> from the seventies." And I'm just like, "Oh, come on!" But I didn't click at the time because I look. I I know you might find not believe. I don't know who every single wrestler is ever. <laughs> um, so like, it just kind of washed over us at the time. But the thing that I really liked but it kind of um, it's it's kind of bittersweet is when they in, inducted Paul Bosch into the into the legacy wing which is quite uh, which is quite ironic since Paul Bosch hated Vince McMahon uh, he put, I wonder sometimes the shit like that spiteful <laughs> well he put in his book uh, something along the lines of like if you want to learn the art of like the insincere handshake just you know <laughs> like speak to Vince McMahon or something like that because Paul Bosch retired in 87 and Vince bought out Houston and they mm. did the Paul Bosch retirement show which was very half-assed um, <laughs> and then was Paul... it actually Paul Bosch though or did they just like get pictures of someone <laughs> fake, else or fake bring Paul the Bosch. wrong guy out <laughs> <laughs> they got Rick Bogner to play Paul Bosch <laughs> like, uh, no so the, the, um, so even Paul Bosch like to initiate the show into a new audience the WWF show which would not have went down well in Houston no um, <laughs> they got him in to do interviews and stuff like that so interviewing like a lot of good, the big Houston names like DBR yeah. Cena they use some of that footage on his induction speech and I'm like you'll never put those full shows on the network like no, you know, like especially Especially now that Peacock's taken over and only <laughs> fuck all added anyway. <laughs> well, only in America as well, so they're not gonna they're not gonna care what someone in England thinks about some show from nineteen eighty seven. They're not gonna go no, that no, deeply no. into and it's it's the, the good days of the network. Uh, oh well behind her now as yeah. soon as it was soiled off Aye. and I mean they, they still don't touch the old 24-7 service which 
you know, didn't yeah, make... Yeah, I used to have that. The one that you watched on your browser and that. Oh, like they, they didn't make new content, new content except for the Legends... They showed you good content. Yeah, well, they, they did content. the Legends of the Square Round Table, but that was just Michael Hayes and Gene Oakland getting drunk and having a tab. <laughs> I <laughs> loved them. Like, I thought they were great fun. <laughs> they were. And, and the thing is, though, you could feel a bit of tension between some of the names that got together as well. Because <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Michael Hayes is so... The one that had Bishop on? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, Michael Hayes is so corporate now. Like, he's just years of it is just like mm. crumbled. Like it's bizarre, really. It. It's compared to when I was a kid. It's insane. So, like, he will stick up for WWE no matter what. Mm. And, you know, you'll get someone like Jim Ross or something. He, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, he will say what's on his mind. And, you know, and you do see the bit of t- And, I, yeah, I do love it. The DVDs that came out of those round tables, the extras are incredible because they're so niche. Like, I'm sure that Judy Bagwell on a poll is one of the extras on one of the DVDs because they talk about, like, worst gimmick matches ever. So I was going to say, in the same breath, you say that the DVD extras are incredible and then you say it includes the Judy Bagwell on a poll that's, match, which, incredible. let's face it, was a, was a forklift. It would have been a lot funner if she had to balance on a pole just for the potential drama. Oh, but they talk about the Freebirds, so they, they put their, a couple of the WWF matches on, of which there are not many. Um, and just the fact uh, that you could get the only this... one I've seen is on Highlander <laughs> <laughs> well the fact that you could just get this rare footage like uh, on a DVD I thought it was very cool but yeah, yeah I'm just glad that I kept a hold of I think a lot of people are gradually becoming pleased that they kept the hold of a lot of the not DVDs. like me when I sell all those type <laughs> classics I'm like oh yeah <laughs> watch the value raise I I know uh, so anyway um, yeah so we're kind of like thinking of doing this like you know we don't want to just go straight to the topic we want you to get to know us a little bit and what we're into and all that kind of stuff so we'll be talking about what is on our minds and please tweet us any questions or anything you want to ask no matter how stupid or nerdy or odd it is like we are all of these things we will answer <laughs> this week's episode, we are talking about the history of the early Shotgun Saturday Night episodes, uh, a, a period that I absolutely love. And that I'd only really seen one of at your house. See, all, all my knowledge of Shotgun was, was it was one of those programmes that was on Sky Sports before you went to school. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, it wasn't this crazy, like, yellow NXT ropes, cool... Wrestler, uh, for anyone who's not seen this, like these first was it six episodes? Was it six episodes in a sixteen by sixteen ring? Yeah, in in, really in nightclubs. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really out there production. They they're clearly worried where they're getting their ass kicked that badly that year. And ECW is pretty cool that they try to be cool too. You you can tell Paul Heyman must have been involved in helping them find venues and what have you. No, well, that, that's exactly what it was. Um, they knew that... This is why I love that sort of uh, mid-96 to Mania 13 period because that's when they started Livewire with the live phone-ins, with the... the I've seen of, some of that, like... Huh? With the, I mean, the, there was some real shoots, but there was also some work shoots in there for storylines. Was one of those... Was that still going? In, like... Early after the turn of the millennium and that. Is that where oh. Vince Vince is like talking about TNA and he's like, Well it's a novel idea to have it on no, that, that <laughs> weekly pay per view. That was bite this. Um oh, much, much right, later yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, no. I mean and, and it definitely continued in that vein. But um, I was gonna say cause that had that vibe as well, like. It did. Uh, and I mean they even tried it much later on with um uh with Todd Grisham, who's not the person to put 
you know, to defend wrestling to people because like there's a clip though if um I don't know if you've seen this of Todd it's a compilation because everyone ring up going TNA rules and it, it's a, it's a whole thing of just him. I swear with, I was none of these calls. <laughs> well, he's got a whole. You must have had like a whole like list of comebacks with TNA fans. So it's a whole thing of that just in like he didn't mean many. Need many. We don't really have all warranty. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. So um, that's basically what happened. They realized, you know, they were they wanted to become more. This is the start of the ECW crossover, like on mind games and all that kind of thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so they kind of realizing that they have to become edgy and experimental, but within the context of wrestling. Stuff, and and like, if you are gonna go and find these, these aren't on the network. Don't expect ECW level edge. Like, there's, <laughs> there's not porn stars and gore, and there's there's like no weapon shots or anything no. on it. I don't. Th- yeah, is there any weapon shots? There's got no. Be there's that we'll get to some of the kind of stunts that are in it. Okay. Um. So yeah. No. So uh, they ask Paul Heyman to recommend different New York venues, and he basically does. And uh, Russo wasn't on the creative team at this point, which you might be surprised about. Um. <laughs> the general thing about Russo is that I'm surprised, given the way the matches have their finishes, mm-hmm. but they're all longer than thirty seconds. Like one thing you'll notice watching this, as opposed to that era of the main shows. Lots of these matches go about 15 minutes, which isn't long in the greatest scheme of things, but compared to like WWF telly, can be quite long. Well, it's, it's partly because they had to use whatever talent they randomly asked to fly in. And it's a proper small amount of people I noticed on these shows. You yeah. see the same faces all the The rest time. of them are on tour. Like, ah, just it makes sense doing um, house shows and that. Yeah, so... They've got pretty big names in that case. They did. They did. Um, yeah, they, they got Bret Hart eventually. Shawn Michaels is on none of them, though. He's on the uh, opening credit pulling his pants down on top of a limo. On top of a car, hi. Yeah. Oh, those opening <laughs> credits. Can I just say, right? That, you know how they do that kind of Saturday night TV, American TV style intro with mm. the knockoff ZZ Top music and that? So cool and so fun. I love that intro. That was unlike I mean the raw theme at that point was still the which is fun and nostalgic for 93 but it sounds like it was made on somebody's phone and then this is suddenly like this class like southern rock song and there's like a really cool snappy loads of cuts Sonny getting out the limo Shawn Michaels having a wank on the roof of a limo or something like that it wasn't so hard on that bit but like there's all sorts of mad stuff happening um, well, yeah, no, the, the Raw thing's kind of weird because in 95 they did the Raw intro on the roof and it was kind of like a 12-bar blues theme. Uh, on oh, the, on I the forgot roof about of, that, yeah. The, the that doesn't last very long, does it? It doesn't last very long and there must have been um, some negative reaction to it because it didn't feel like Raw. So they went back to the... Like, bit for 96. And they kept using it until early 97 before they went with Beautiful People for a few weeks. Oh um, yeah, and then uh, or not even a few weeks, and then they went to the the Rose War theme tune that everyone knows. Um, they were good for theme songs for then. Do you remember that Superstars one where um, I think it's Michael Hayes singing, and he's basically doing mm-hmm. a rip off of the Monday Night Football song that uh, British belt like Sean Michael. Yeah, did. the one that Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> used like, to uh, do. That's like, uh, like all my did... rowdy friends are coming over tonight, but it's like about. British Bulldog. Well, it seems like we didn't start the fire. Just like listening a whole load of names. Just uh, well, no, watch the old Monday Night Football intro and then watch that. Is it like that? <laughs> it's, it's so close. Well, the chorus, because they get them to sing the chorus. Are you ready to go? Yeah, we said. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> Used to be on that. 
<laughs> with, with, with um, hopefully not creatively just sound wise um, so yeah no well that's the thing uh, we're going well off topic but it, I showed you some of some 95 the countdown where Big Al who was in NRBQ uh, the 80s band who did Captain Lou Captain Lou no, Captain um, Lou Alberto and he was also in Jeff Jarrett in your house 2 band that did With My Baby Tonight was he? Yeah, so they got him... Speaking of good songs. Well, they, they got him, for whatever reason, to stand in the... Because I thought, uh, before I saw it, that he just did the national anthem on guitar. But no, he did the, the theme tune to Are You Ready? That Superstars theme, where he's miming it and miming the guitar, just walking around the ring, and it's... Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love some shit mate, like... <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, no, um... So shotgun again, January fourth, ninety seven. Uh, you know they've got live wire going on. Raw starting to get a bit edgier because they did Pillman with a gun and everything. Dude, and my favorite year of Raw, like hands down. Well, that title picture around that time is when it it got really interesting because it wasn't just two names. You had Aye. Brett, you had Austin, you had Sid. Well, they got the final four pay per view in that, didn't they? Aye. Vader, Mankind, everyone. They had a small roster, but everyone. I mean, they, they had the jobbers, better. but the jobbers were what they should have been. Your Salvatore yeah. Sinceres and stuff like that. They, they were never going to be in the Intercontinental title picture or whatever. But they could feasibly have an Intercontinental title match. With guys like him, it was a payday for a bunch of ECW stars. And I know mm-hmm. stars is maybe the wrong word, but I noticed a bunch of ECW guys on these in different names. Mm-hmm. So uh, just, just before we go into the first episode, yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you, the logo is cool in that, right? But they're trying to be like... It's risky, it's dangerous, anything can happen. So why is the logo a police badge with police tape? Like, it, it says it all when they're like, we'll be risky and badass. What's risky and badass, Vince? The police. No, no. <laughs> Never really thought about it. Like, I guess it's one of those things that you just get blinded by the colours and the marketing and you're just I, like, oh, this is cool and edgy for 11-year-old WF fan me who's never seen anything <laughs> remotely edgy apart from maybe Euro Trash at the time that was, that was a lot edgier than this <laughs> that's true uh, but but this was a lot edgier than most of the stuff that they were putting out oh somewhere. definitely <laughs> so, so should we get to the first show to jump in with the edge okay. our first show was on January the 4th and it was at the Mirage Nightclub in New York City which is the only venue on these they went to twice my first thought on this was a uh, Looking at, like, Vince was on commentary, you had Billy Silverman and Mike Kyoda as the referees, you had that fun opening with Bob Backlund, you know, where he's being like, this is too edgy, you can't do this, it shouldn't be allowed. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow, they're really taking this seriously. And then I saw the first match, (laughs) and the headbangers came out dressed up as handmaidens from the handmaid's tale yes. one of them called mother smucker mother Schmuck, yeah. and i was like okay they're not taking this seriously <laughs> at all what the fuck is this shit right from the off well they got a, they got a holy shit chant from the audience uh, of course they did you just saw the headbangers dressed up as nuns well, they, no, they weren't the head they, they'd made one appearance on superstars in late 96 as the headbangers but i think it was just meant to be know them them from ecw weren't they i, well, I knew them in smoky mountain uh, I might be mixing up here that it was at Smoky Mountain they're at and, and I mean obviously re- back. regional and everything so like uh, what's that's a very small smart fan crowd mind that that is well no I, I don't know was that crowd a wrestling crowd or was they it do just various ECW chants and they do they okay. chant in strange places I noticed where it seems like 
when you're at like an indie event in a club. But that was one of the vibes I had was it feels like, you know, when you go and see wrestling at the Academy or like in Riverside, mm-hmm. like it, it felt like one of those sorts of events. And I mean that as a positive, like I have a lot <laughs> of good memories of wrestling like that. And I, I and prefer being in a venue like that compared to like the arena. Thing is though as well, I think there was so, I think people knew what they were getting with WWF at the time as well. So that's why you don't really get boring chance during like even the worst matches. Because I've one in all of them. I, I hope okay. I've written down where it was. But yes, you're right. People don't shit on it at all, apart from like one bit. I think they're just either confused by it or they're just like, oh, just nonplussed by it. I guess. Which I mean, uh, which is evident by the mother schmucker and or sister Angelica. I think so, yeah. Um, Mosh's name wasn't as dumb as Thrasher's. <laughs> so they were called uh, they were called the Flying Nuns, and then Brother Love comes out and then dubs them the Sisters of Love. I noticed, again, <laughs> it shocked me then you said Russo isn't involved because a tag team debuts and the fucking name changes during the first show. <laughs> so I thought that's got like Russo, ah, Laura, who have got two punks who are dressed up as nuns, but they're very weird-looking nuns, and their name changes in episode one. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Russo's involved, but he's acknowledged as not being on the writing team at this point, because he gets put on the writing team after the the German Raw. Uh, cause, right, uh, okay. That's when there was just Mr. Magazine, man. He was Mr. Magazine, and it, it, like, that's when he was... And he was hosting Livewire as well a little bit, um, doing shoots and all that kind of I, stuff. I don't and, remember it well enough, really. Um, well, he just went by the Vic Venom at that point. Um, I knew that was his pen name. I didn't know he was doing that on the telly. Because he, didn't he try like wrestling very early on as Vic Venom or something? Not for WWF. Oh, I don't know. I, I just I he, he ran the video shop, time. didn't he? And then he started writing the magazine. And even in 94, though, because it is first... It's a rags to riches tale, really. It's a shame it's just the riches are shite. <laughs> <laughs> well, even in 94, you could tell... Because he he's on an episode of Mania in 94, and Todd Pentagle interviews him. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're doing an article on Owen Hart, who was formerly the Blue Blazer. And that was the first bit of breaking kayfabe. Mm, um, that's quite And, funny. like, expose and Tom Pengel reacts to it. Because it's a big deal to unmask a yeah, master and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. Anyway, so... No, 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 it's quite So, again, they take on the Godwins and... Uh, I mean, Vince... I do, I do have notes on the match itself, I was just saying. Well, I was going to say, before we get into that, like, Vince isn't as... I mean, he's square and white, but he... He could have been worse. He's not as bad as I was thinking he might be. Do you but know what I, I thought made him look I was just going to say, I actually thought that made him seem more square. Because Sonny's so bang on, like, being sexy and risque, and she makes lots of quite cool, like, semi kayfabe breaking sexual comments about wrestlers and stuff, and she's just on the money. And then there's often times where Vince does come across pretty square. Like, like, you've got to think, like, granted, they were calling Michael Hayes Doc Hendricks, but... Put him on the commentary with Sonny and that would have been like That'd have been great. much, or much better. Pillman? I mean, Pillman was still out storyline-wise at that Maybe point. Maybe he too Raj Pillman putting him on there. Like. That's true, that's true. Well, he ended up commentating with Jim Ross, but Jim Ross was there to control Pillman, basically, because he would have just <laughs> let Pillman you know, go off on I one. imagine putting Pillman in a nightclub to commentate with Tell Sonny. Tell you what, the... the no, let's stick with Vince and his shirt tucked into his underwear instead. <laughs> it's much safer. The thing that um, there's a... Uh, you know the warehouse uh, Twitter, where they go through the warehouse and just find loads of things yes um they found all the superstar line tapes and a lot of them were hosted by sonny and brian pillman and with vince on commentary not controlling what's going on i bet they are insane i would love to see this i wish i, I bet there's a reason why they haven't been <laughs> so yeah anyway sorry no no it's quite all right um my first thing I noticed when you were saying about them taking on the Godwins, that that first match, I've said about it already, that went a hell of a lot longer than I expected. Yeah. But during it goes that... goes over a break. 
It does, and also the one of the ways that if if they have an audience that aren't used to that, I thought the use of the cutaways to interviews and stuff was quite an interesting thing to do, and it, it actually, in a really weird way, given the matches and characters and the venue, give it a slightly sportier feel. Yeah. By cut, it's like oh, we're going on. Let's speak to the manager now. Like, what do you think of this? What's going on in this match? What's going right? I was like, shit, man, that's actually quite sporty. Yeah. Which there's not a lot of sporty goes <laughs> on on Shotgun Saturday night. But yeah, I, I, I thought that was interesting. And was was there any kind of runoff feud between the Godwins and the Flying Nuns outside <laughs> no. of Shotgun? Well, no, because uh, we find out that uh, they get arrested the next week for soliciting. <laughs> oh, I remember when they're walking down the, the steps out of the church I, I, I saw them get stopped I didn't really know what for or what the hell was going on and they have a fight at a Disney store at one point oh, God, well, like crashing at the window I thought they'd just got mixed up and they heard Nitro had been taped at Disney <laughs> and they didn't realise they meant like the theme park and they were like smash into the Disney shop I think it was uh, Frasher who said on an interview that they, like it was all guerrilla filming this like the Cornette with Mini Vader which I'm sure we'll mm, get into but, we like, definitely will when when, they, when they're going down the stairs at the church, just some old wives going around. And, 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 but they've got it on camera and it's just like they're, they're shot in one shot. And then there's a um, they get arrested, so you see the mug shots and them holding the numbers <laughs> up and stuff like that. So that That's was quite fun, though. That was the end of the flying nuns. <laughs> <laughs> we went from there to uh, Gold Dust versus the Sultan, which when I was making notes, I initially wrote as Gold Dust versus Marlena. So yeah, you know where the. Where the uh, the what's the word the, the meat on the bone is in this match <laughs> well I, I remember the end of this because this ended up in the picture of it ended up in the magazine at the time well yeah yeah <laughs> I'm not surprised yeah you know I noticed something because the Sultan is not a gimmick I've seen a great deal of and I, I always found it kind of funny to have a Samoan dressed as like Princess Jasmine with a Hannibal Lecter <laughs> mask on it's a very curious well, you know why character mask? I do not he got his tongue cut off Ah, right, okay. Well, at least I had a storyline reason for it, even if it's really stupid. Stupid, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> and the letter I mean, Sheik in the bar, was he there? Was Sheik there? Sheik's not there, so... Oh, that's probably a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> amazingly, amazingly, we're talking about smart fans, there is a Let's Go Sultan chant. Is there there cannot have been many of them in existence. <laughs> it's big names again, though. Yeah. Like Sultan was used on a pay per view there. No, he wasn't was. He? he was one of those like sort of mental gimmicks that was brought in in late '96 that was designed to be pushed a little bit. Because uh, you've got. Did back... he have a mania match with the Rock when he... the Rock's brand new and he still? He did, and there's cheering the Sultan there because the booing the Rock and he will measure. That character it. sucked. <laughs> <I>. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean you can't not have the uh, Bob Backlund and the Sheik as your manager and them not want to do literally anything with you. Um, Aye, that's so... true. And, and he could work, you know what I mean? He's like, he, I mean, they could all work, that's the thing. They're, they're just giving. It was Rikishi, giving. wasn't it? It was Rikishi. Yeah. So, like, the, you know, I think once he did that sidekick and he did the flip from the clothesline, I think everyone knew <laughs> <laughs> who it was. But, uh, yeah, so um, the end of that match uh, is notable for Marlena getting a. Yes, yeah. she, she jumps up onto the apron <laughs> to whack her titties out for a, a bit of distraction for the distraction finish. And. Uh, well, I mean, she's not facing us, so unfortunately... No, she's got uh, plasters over her. It's perhaps wrong to call the hard cameras and she was facing away. Bob Batman got a good eye full, didn't he? <laughs> I <Yeah>. did. <laughs> you know what's perfect about that moment as well? It's Sonny's jealousy. 
And she's, she is kicking off because another girl is getting their attention and getting her tits out and yeah. doing all stuff. I thought that was a great... Sunny stays so well in character throughout all of this. She, sorry, she really... Nope. Do, and, and I think a, a, a bit of credit that she doesn't really get as a commentator during that time was how much she put over a lot of the wrestlers' gimmicks. Like oh, she, she really put over like people like I mean it was because she fancied them, but like she put over the Rock and British Bulldog and Bret Hart. And but she made no Michaels, secret of fancying them and did it in character as well. Mm. So it, it all worked. Something I noticed when we're talking about commentary and putting stuff over. You know how Vince McMahon has like a few phrases he always uses. Yeah. <laughs> There's a moment in this where you know he's like he loves saying like insert name hammering away. <laughs> in this one he goes Sultan hammering away I beg your pardon being hammered upon <laughs> I just love that he can only change it it's like sorry he is being hammered he is in fact the nail <laughs> oh man <laughs> well we go from there to again sticking with the big names Ahmed Johnson versus Crush now how far into the nation of domination versus Ahmed Johnson <laughs> feud are we at? Well, it, it, as far as the Farouk against Ahmed storyline goes, that's been going on for months, but he was gladiator Farouk at that point. So the nation had only been around a month at that point. Had it. I yeah. don't think oh, I've seen months, him as gladiator months, Farouk. Um, yeah, oh, you, you missed out on that. Um, <laughs> the, there was a picture of uh, on the APA documentary of gladiator Farouk not wearing his helmet, and it was like watching... like. Goofy on all fours. It was just weird. I couldn't comprehend him not wearing the helmet with <laughs> the gladiator stuff. Um, it been very weird for me to see him go from WCW <laughs> to see him be a fucking gladiator. <laughs> yeah, no, well, the, the general consensus is that only he could pull that off without people laughing at him because he would like, who would laugh at him? As, as he's quite famous as having said, I believe it was... Uh, it was him who said it. I am unfuckwithable. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, so the, the storyline's still pretty fresh, and Ahmed is still on a like a upwards trajectory at that point. Yeah, I, I thought Ahmed came across pretty well in this as well. Yeah. You know, there's a particularly good spot I liked where he runs down that ramp and jumps over the top rope to do a clothesline. Yeah, pretty athletic and cool that I, I appreciated that he didn't see as much of that I didn't think or at least in what I saw of the normal I, I love it when they made use of like the surrounding area as well me too we'll definitely get more into that, that. we yeah. definitely will yeah yeah um, f- before I pitch a character for you for Crush hmm? yeah <laughs> or pitch it to you Kitty <laughs> Rocco making a, a brief appearance brief appearance of running um, why was someone as exceedingly white as Crush in a Black Panther themed <laughs> group called the Nation of Domination. Um, he was uh, the fact that they were both managed by Clarence Mason. Um, and he so was, is he already managing Crush? Yes. Cool. Um, and but also Clarence Mason was managing Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, at that point as well. So like they could have really? quite easily. The storyline was that he he swindled Cornette and made him sign a contract to. Uh, get the rights to own a bulldog. Um, That's pretty. Well, with him being like a lawyer and that, because he was he was Harlem Heat two thousands lawyer as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was. <laughs> uh, and and managing Ahmed. Um, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no. I guess it's just they have rough looking people who fight for the same cause, but it wasn't what, being black. It didn't. It wasn't as. He does a it, full it on it, like, it, Black Panther speech in the cutaway thing. That's it's true. absolutely brilliant. That's but true. he even uses buzzwords from their speeches, including like when he says the says the new day, 
which which made me laugh because I remember when um the new day of today were being formed and I'd read rumours that there was like a new nation yeah. nomination coming out called the New Day and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And, you know, it was a phrase that had been used politically in the past anyway. Yeah. And um, I was shocked when I eventually saw them in the neon clothes <laughs> with unicorns on playing 40 trombones and frisbee and pancakes. I still thought it was great and the ditch, the race bait, which I thought was pretty great as well. But yeah, yeah that shocked me. <laughs> well, well, the nation, I mean, yeah, Ahmed and uh, Farouk, it was definitely a race-based storyline and, I mean, really edgy for for its time really with some of the language that was used but the nation well the nation the nation as a group though it didn't seem to be about a race thing as a group even though there were lots of black people in the group like obviously you had crush you had Savio you had the rappers you had PG yeah them two white so like you know the the whole um, Farouk using race as a playing card to get himself title shots and stuff like that. That wasn't until much later. Was it not? And and it could be argued that Crush and Savio like got sick of Farouk using that as a playing card to well, Savio's not black either, yeah. let's face it. I know he's he's not white either. Yeah. But like it becomes what is the cause then, doesn't it? What I wanted to float to you before we move to this glittering main event. <laughs> so I would have leaned on Crush being from Hawaii. Because right. you know they've already had like he's crushed, he's fine. They've, they've made no secret of it in your beloved era. <laughs> Let's call the heart punch the tropical punch. Because <laughs> he, I mean, he goes on to be in a weed-themed team in Chronic anyway. So why can't he like evolve in that case from like umbongo to umbongo? <laughs> Put like put him in a Hawaiian shirt. He can come out to like Margaritaville. He plays at Mania, and Jimmy Buffett can play him to the ring. He could have a parrot and feud with Coco Beware. He could have like a parrot on a pole match. I don't know. If Jimmy Buffett hasn't played him to the ring, he could be the special guest referee. You know, they love a celebrity of mania. Could be any stupider than having him as a Black Panther. (laughs) Oh, at least it would be real. (laughs) Oh, that is superb. (laughs) So. And keeping in that vein, we get to our first ever Shotgun Saturday Night's main event. What was... Let me guess. I can't see if I can remember it. Um, see, Adomed already Pearl River plunged him on the car. Uh, with D'Lo Brown? Yeah. I think that's on a different show, but that definitely happens on the Shotguns. No, it was on this one. Was it on this it was first definitely one? definitely on this one. It? I don't know if they ended like... Was this a Mexican midget, by any chance? Yes, it was. <laughs> I like the way one minute he's like, oh, be careful about saying Latin America. And then he's like, Mexican midgets. <laughs> so, yeah, you had Mascarita Sagrada Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, against... Max, Max Mini. <laughs> yes, I know, but I wanted to give him his real name. Oh, sorry. His real name. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll have to, I'll have to call, like, uh, Mini Vader. Mini Vader. Mm-hmm. But as a person whose name I have never been able to pronounce, anyone who listens to my country show will know I'm renowned for... Being really stupid, but uh, it's a spectro, <laughs> a spectro. I, oh, I, I, I can almost guarantee Vince McMahon had not much more. Well, luck he, he definitely say. won't have because <laughs> those two actually had history before this, right? Because um, Mascarita had lost. No, sorry, Mascarita had won uh, Mask versus Match Mask with Mini Vader before he was Mini Vader. If that's why he put on a different mask and became someone else, I don't um, know. They, they actually had a long feud in Mexico. Wow. Like the, the, you, the, the, the little fellas who get used on all of these shows 
are actually some like legendary Mexican wrestlers. I mean, it, it doesn't shock me though, because I can't imagine there was a whole massive pool of midget Mexican wrestlers. <laughs> I, I don't know enough really to comment on it. But what I do know is that one of my absolute WWF highlights of all time mm-hmm. happened in this match mm-hmm. when Todd Pettengill sang the Macarena but made all the words be about Masquerita while Sonny danced and in a bizarre 90s way it actually worked and was really fun but like most fun things in wrestling Jim Cornette turned up and stopped it from happening <laughs> <laughs> well Todd um, he because on the interview that I did with him he talks about because he writes off the parody songs for his radio show that makes sense then. So that's why I knew he was like a shock jock. Yeah, so that's why he did like the Slammy Award songs and all that kind of stuff, and that's why he's he's kind of ideal. For, and he works two minutes down the road, so like work, uh, exactly. working at midnight didn't really bother him. I no. don't think. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. The, uh, so the pre match, uh, and I mean Cornette's talked about this a lot. What they asked him to do was he was so cheap that he didn't uh, want to bring real Vader, so he brings Mini Vader, but he travels by Greyhound from Mexico. And I don't remember them mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, very briefly. Like, so, <laughs> right. uh, so they have him uh, like walking through Grand Central State, uh, uh, through Penn Station or Grand Central Station or whatever, down the escalators. And he wasn't taking any notice because it's New York and like sort of. <laughs> and, and many... Do Greyhound buses go to train stations? Which one's the bus station then? Is that Penn Station? I don't know. No, Penn Station, the, the train bus, Grand Central are... Station, the bus station. Is it? I'm sure it is. I mean, Penn I, Station, the train station, because that's where a future shop. I, I thought they were both train stations. No, no, one's definitely a bus station. <laughs> okay. um, so they have not gone through New York, and then he needs a piss, and then the the gag was that the toilets were too high for him to reach. But Mini Vader's a big midget, so he doesn't need much help. He's probably the same height as me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, so it was a side gag that was completely, you know, it wouldn't have been funny anyway. But, <laughs> but even worse that it didn't happen. It yeah. didn't work. Dick was Cornet in the nightclub then? He, you yeah, know, Cor- Cornet, pants, didn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, he does okay. a lot of comedy bullshit spots at the end that he would absolutely it's a, murder people for today. Well, that's the thing, like, sort of... Oh, like, they were great, by the way. <laughs> this New York uh, nightclub show suddenly becomes a Memphis wrestling show. Yeah, yeah very much. <laughs> does and it was my favourite part <laughs> so Cornette went out he said and bought big boxes and drew the hearts on them and everything because he's like if you're going to do it you've got to go big you've got to go, go big, big. Yeah. definitely, definitely you do. he got locked out of the building as well when he got chased out so you had to go around the block to get in back them in. boxes it's cold as out in New York on January the 4th poor bastard no one's um, so grumpy <laughs> so was that your match of the night was it? that was my match of the night hands down well it could work it's actually a pretty good match Gimmicks aside, they can work. And you know there was a mini Mankind as well? Uh, I vaguely remember that, yes. The, the, um, the pre-show for the Rumble 97, uh, Mini Vader and Mini Mankind, there was a mini Paul Bearer, but he only showed up on the Mexican shows. Uh, but there is a picture of a mini Paul Bearer uh, <laughs> as well. And there's a mini Goldust as well, who eventually showed up. Why didn't they just let them be <laughs> their own gimmicks? Why do you have to be miniaturised, like you know, like mini bar versions of gold dust and that? Like like you're getting a little gift set of Christmas. And speaking of gift size. sets and Christmas, the show ended and there's one of these spots on every single episode with Michael Hayes basically cutting a promo to sell house shows from your bedroom. <laughs> in fact there is actually less 
less merch and crazy stuff from that time period than there is in your room. Well, the, the thing is as well, because the these early shotguns were only shown in the New York market, so they, were, they weren't shown across the That's country. That's why I've not even seen these until recently. Um, you know, they would show the odd clip on Raw, but you wouldn't... You wouldn't like that Pearl River Plunge. Mm-hmm. I remember oh, yeah. seeing that on Raw. Uh, anything that really furthered storylines, I guess they would they would recap on mm. more. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, WN fifty five something like that. But uh, they would uh, only show those shows. Then it went national. But then they also had their own show called WWF New York, which was hosted by Jim Ross and Vince Russo. Because um, they needed what the, a bizarre parent. Well, I think Jim Ross was very much there to keep Vince Russo on track, but they also right, needed Russo yeah. because they felt strong New York accent for the local market and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but and then by that point, it became a syndicated show as well in America with Jim Ross and Brian Pillman um, redoing the same matches. Jim Ross, but you know, having to just mm. and then in the UK, in in uh, certainly in the UK, you had Jim Cornette and Michael Cole do some of these. And those were some of Michael weird Cole's... Weird up here, isn't that? Those, those were some of Michael Cole's very first ever appearances, and it went on until 99. And he got but... no better. <laughs> <laughs> but no one cares about the shows after the nightclub once. Let's no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a kind of cliffhanger we were left on, where Sonny was basically, I'm so mad at Marlena for getting her tits out that next week I'm going to release one of my sex videos, which is a strange threat, but okay, <laughs> we will get to this sex video, and it's, well, <laughs> it's not as good as our other ones I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> we move on to episode two, which is on January January the 11th, and it's contrary to what you always say, it's at the All-Star Cafe and not at the Hard Rock <laughs> Cafe, which I thought was weird because that's me such a, a restaurant. Me being a granddad, that, like, because when I say, because the other one was Penn Station, I kept saying the Grand Central Station, but yeah, it's Penn Station. And the other Mirage one I didn't think existed. I actually literally thought it was a Mirage. <laughs> <laughs> but this show, amazingly, has looks a, nicer. It had a dark match. Go on, Philip Lafon from ECW. <laughs> One of their best wrestlers. <laughs> from ECW beat Thrasher, who was apparently no longer a nun. He was being Thrasher. So, yeah, there was a dark match on Shotgun. I think there's one of the other episodes had one. That that blew my mind, really. That's crazy. Why wouldn't you have Philip Lafon, literally one of your best wrestlers, on the show? Well, well more to come on Philip Lafon later <laughs> on this night. Uh, we, we start, of course, because how else would you start a show, with the honky-tonk man getting his shoe shined, while well, Mark Miro and Sable are getting the full red carpet treatment, which... Mero do you think the they building. do stuff for the sake of it? Mero enters the building in his ring gear, which yeah. I found quite weird. Like, <laughs> yeah. the Get clothes. out of the limo and that in yeah. his ring gear. Yeah, yeah it was does. a bit wacky races, like, wasn't it? Getting out of his, <laughs> you know. um, but uh, well, I've got to say, before we get into it, like I, fi- I love, visually, this was my favourite shotgun Saturday night. It's much brighter. I like the look of it, and Sunny is probably at her hottest as well. She's in like some sorority girl kind of mini skirt. With she like... looks delightful. It's, <laughs> it, 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 I was unable to really enjoy her shaking it at the start because she's like stood up on a plinth dancing, and Vince McMahon's just sat really close, staring and never blinking. Like he's just <laughs> staring straight through the babysitter. He can't decide if he's going to bury in the woods or just get creepy with. A couple, a couple of facts for you. Um... Which I don't think will you'll have noted or anything like that. They used, do you know the DX uh, video with the strippers dancing? 
I actually you speculated on this. Yeah. I said some of those girls dancing looked like the ones that were in the DX Well, they video. even, because the, the WF logo badge in the corner, it's the shotgun logo, and you see that flash on and off. And I just thought I was going to have a seizure watching that DX video anyway, so I didn't notice <laughs> the logo. But even, like, a funny one is on the Jay the Snake documentary, because they talk about him being a drunk and all that, the only footage they can really use is him in one of the bars on shotgun, just walking through the bar on the way to the oh, ring, no. to, to make it like, look like... <laughs> look like he's just gone straight from the bar... <laughs> To the ring, like I'll have one for the road and one for the ropes. <laughs> anyway, right. So then we get Sunny teasing her sex tape, and Todd Pettingill is way too enthusiastic. He has an absolutely fervent desire to see it, and then he interviews a random drunk man who just basically tells Todd, "Oh, well, afterwards I want a shot as well." And I was like, "Oh my god, this is no way to treat your female talent. This is terrible. How has this episode gone off the rails before the first match?" And this this is the one that has the flying nunmados attacking a Disney store. At the start, and I, just, really? I, I have no idea what's going on. They're just throwing nun punches outside. That's what they got arrested for, for attacking the... The, the walking down the church was on the first episode. Yeah, so yes. same oh, solicitation yes, I was just thinking. Said. I don't remember that, but I'm pretty dumb. <laughs> no, no, I'm just like, you know... Like, you've watched them more recently as well, so you're far more prepared than I am. So It's mad that I watch things before we talk about them. <laughs> I mean, more people on Twitter should do that. <laughs> but anyway, our first match, we'll get Mark Miro, who we've talked about coming out. And for a minute, I forgot what was lost to the annals of time. They announced that Mark Miro is against Diesel. And I was like, bloody hell, that is a big name. Then I was like, oh yeah, this is Big Fatty Tool. This is not, this is not Big Daddy Cool. So, oh, it's a big name match. It's just someone else's name. <laughs> Does Diesel get a pie in his face? <laughs> I don't think so, but you can tell straight away. It's in a cafe, so someone's eating a cake or something, and I'm sure Sable knocks it in his face. There's a hell of a lot of like, chaotic bullshit goes on that they try and catch all in one shot yeah. so I can believe you there but I, when I saw this I did not notice a cake but I noticed if you didn't really know what Diesel looked like but you knew him by reputation you would know this wasn't Diesel because the match goes on for a quarter of an hour and he does a <laughs> he does a like suicide dive type move as well like Kevin Nash would have died if he thought about dive, doing that's that dive. that's the thing though there's probably maybe some proper just passing fans who remember Diesel and just yeah. probably think that that is Diesel. Like, yeah. <laughs> God, he wrestles better than I remember, but he looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting a run-in from just a phaser Ramon as well. Because <laughs> in, in, in adding to the other people's names, Razor Ramon turns up and also is not Razor Ramon. Yeah. Did you notice, you know, you've already mentioned about the presentation. Yeah. I love Mark Miro. I love Johnny B. Bad. My God, where that lighting's so bright, you can see the whites of his eyes from 50 yards. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> did you notice, like, when did Mark Miro come into WWF, first of all? His first appearance was at WrestleMania 12. He did an interview, and then he wrestled the next night on Raw, and that's when he got Sable, because he rescued her from Triple H. I see, because to me, he was called Mark Miro, and he was still basically just a bad blasterless Johnny B. Bad here. Like, this wasn't like the later on, the you know, the TKOs and the boxing gloves, Mark Miro, really. He yeah. seemed a lot like Johnny B. Bad still. Well, the argument was because that was his first role, and that's all he knew how to do. Mm. And Vince... I'm not knocking him. That's no, just no, an interesting thing to notice. Just, and Vince thought he was getting Johnny B. Bad. 
Like he thought but, that but they didn't own the name. They didn't own the name, but they thought that it was his character and that was he was outgoing. I'm so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not even that era Johnny B. Bad, sort of the 95... The really good Johnny B. Bad. Yeah, with the cape and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what Meryl basically wore after... Because he came in wearing the leather waistcoat and all that, and then they quickly went to the, the Ric Flair... Back to being Johnny B. Bad. Yeah. yeah. But Sable had just, at this point, went from her evening gown dresses back to the leather, and this is when she became proper Sable. She looks, yeah. I was frightened Brock Lesnar was going to punch us through the TV when I was looking <laughs> at her. What I wanted to ask about Sable... Mm-hmm. Why does the honky tonk man have beef with her in this match? Like this feels like era, <laughs> different eras colliding. I really don't know. I don't know what Honky's problem is. On this He's just thing. mental on all of this. Like not much that's going on with Honky Tonk Man makes sense on this episode. No, he plays didn't he play blackjack or something with the midgets and shoots them out of you know, he keeps losing, but he's just like, I, oh, I win. <laughs> he has a few really strange segments like that. Oh, he does a song as well, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Oh, okay, right. We'll My God, that was tragic. <laughs> but one thing I did notice, a positive, the little adverts and cutaways where they're trying to build up their own shows and the house shows, all that kind of music that they're playing, they're like knock-off winger and Mr. Big and Extreme and all that, it's so good. And so much better than all the kind of new metal stuff that everyone remembers that came later. This, like, in-house produced rock music, I enjoyed so much more. And I like the instrumentals. I, I don't always want to move to the music. Like, nah, like <laughs> shut up, man. Like, I'm listening to somebody talking about wrestling. I don't need you grumbling at the same time. No, that's true. We move on from that advert with the music I was digging to what would be another big name match and this is just before an angle really so I, I wanted to know if this angle started on Shotgun we get Savio Vega versus Farouk so could you give me a little insight into their feud because obviously Savio joins the nation not too long after this yeah there was uh, it was just a randomly put together match there wasn't any there wasn't any feud going on at that point and they didn't really unless something comes out at the end of this I don't remember but Savio within Two weeks joins the nation on a house show as well. It wasn't even on TV. Yes, because they actually talk about the house show on the episode where he joined them. It's yeah. on the shotgun. It, it was a, so it's like earlier that day. It's that afternoon. Yeah, and I mean, do it at the garden. You know what I mean? You say big stuff mm. for the garden and everything. And there, there was a any time on a house show, if there's a camera there. You know, a title's going to change hands, like a single-handed camera, or something's going to go. Aye, that's going to end up on TV. But yeah, no, it was just a, it was just a cold match and again like I say whoever they could get who wasn't you know who was nearby you know. that makes it sound like they're going to be beg borrowed or stolen names but Savio Vega and, and Farouk that, that's two cool names well I think they knew they couldn't go with I love Tracy Smothers but Freddie Joe Floyd against Salvatore I, I love Tracy you know Smothers and I never remember that he's Freddie <laughs> Joe Floyd never ever but he wouldn't have the same impact on that audience in New York no I think they had to go for recognisable within that time frame names and Savio mm. certainly was and Savio is if you if you watch MLW for example Savio Vega still does a fair bit today and he's, he's still pretty cool now he's, oh, he's been in various feuds carried that he's got his own promotion in the Caribbean doesn't he because he, he brings does. that belt with him to MLW it's currently being held by an MLW wrestler in fact Oh, really? Rather than like someone from his own lot, unless Richard Holiday has been doing stuff there. <laughs> I don't know. It gets hard to keep up with stuff in a pandemic. Like. And Savio was just on the Survivor Series as part of the Undertaker retirement as well. Um, they brought out BSK. 
Did they Jeff really? Pretty, they brought out the Godwins and they came out with overalls on, which I thought was great. That's fun. Because <laughs> it wasn't just your average legends and everything. It was like they actually dug deep a little bit. Mm. I wanted like Brian Lee to come out and that. But and the, like, they had to have the Godwins though because Midian's one of his best mates, isn't he? Well, that's the thing. I, I loved it though because everyone coming out had this like proper badass rock music and then the Godwins come out of that violin instead like, of that proper music yeah they didn't come out they don't go don't go with never play that. that was what was great was watching these where these aren't on the network the Godwins still had Hillbilly Jim singing don't go those shotguns would be butchered you wouldn't get Macarena on there no you, there's actually you know shitloads I mean? of copywritten music because yeah. there's, where they're in nightclubs all the time oh, of course they the have random music. strippers and yeah. they're just like blasting tunes because there's loads of promos in interviews that you don't hear a word of because there's just blaring music in a nightclub. Which, yeah. I mean, I can see some bits that it was messed up, but I... Yeah, so there's, there's probably... A part, that's part of the reason why those shotguns haven't made it on the network. I, I had a feeling like... Mm. After Savio Vega versus Farouk, we'll get to the moment that everybody's been hyped for and <laughs> you've probably seen this even if you haven't seen Shotgun Saturday Night. We get the sex tape with Elmo... <laughs> for some reason like, where Tickle Me Elmo in? was the hottest toy that year so it, 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 it yeah. was I remember the toy they have Tickle Me Elmo and she's lying there quite, quite sexually yeah, playing with Tickle Me Elmo which I thought was a bit of a weird juxtaposition but okay and then a muggle Elmo in a suit it, sorry it's not Elmo wearing a suit like he's going to the office I mean <laughs> a muggle gadget in an Elmo suit <laughs> comes in and he is Fondle Me Elmo and speaks in the Fondle Me Elmo voice which sounds like Mickey Mouse when I do it but like, I'm not <laughs> a god not far off to be fair Bruce Pritchard said it was Todd Pettingill under that so I asked looks him looks too big well I asked him I was just and whether he was just trying to like protect you know his oh, protect me. <laughs> you can't unmask <laughs> He's not losing a mask versus mask match. Well, no, but he's also married and getting it on with a future porn star on a video, you know. Um, <laughs> no, but no, it, it wasn't on Pengel, but so we'll, we may never know who that was. Uh, I mean, I can probably live with that. <laughs> you say, well, that tickle me, Elmo. I remember there was a girl I used to know years ago called Michelle, and she was banging to, like, all the emo music and all that, and she used to make a funny noise if you tickled her. <laughs> so I used to call her tickle me, Emo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what... Fondle Me Elmo raises a lot of questions. Right, firstly, when they start banging, why are there Tom and Jerry sound effects? Yeah. Well. Like, what, what are those meant to represent? They're, they're making very unrealistic sexual grumbles. And then there's just like, boing! Like, all these weird sound effects happening. Like, what? And then, still, after Sonny's been being like, oh, oh, Elmo, all the way through. Then, the, after they finish, she realises he has no dick. And this is a shock to him as well. Like, how does he not know that he doesn't have a dick? Like, does she have a penis flytrap down there that just, like, <laughs> chomped it off? And that's why they put sound effects in so we couldn't hear the grim and horrible horror of Elmo being made into a eunuch. W- would this be a, a worse bait and switch than, like, a Night Romaine event? <laughs> 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 Definitely, like, because <laughs> there'll be people all week, like school kids and that. Do you wait? Oh, Sonny, and then, then instead we got Sonny chopping off Elmo's cock. <laughs> what? What? And then they follow that with the abysmal honky tonk man song you were talking oh, about no, no. when I was watching that. That, oh. that was a that was a uh, Pettingill creation as well. Oh, Todd, you missed. What was it, honky tonk mama or something like that? Mm. And, uh, I, I can't remember. It's just gibberish. It was just terrible. Honky has a honky's uh, Pettingill's trying to keep this on track, and honky is about a bar out of time. 
when you're singing this it's as well. A, then, it's yeah. a car crash. All I could think looking at him was hearing Eric Bischoff go, you fat hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> but would it have been worse if he'd have sang it in time? You know, that It would have been better if they just didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll skip that show. <laughs> There's not a lot to cover. No, Honky Tonk Man sings, he's out of time, it's shite. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> and we get The Rock before he was The Rock against Razor Ramon after <laughs> he's not anymore Razor Ramon. So you have fake Razor versus Rocky Maivia. I can't believe we have a second Diamond I've Dud I've match. I've interviewed one person from that match, have a guess who. <laughs> the Diamond Dud? <laughs> Was there any story behind this feud? Was no, God, just, no. Like, well, no, the thing is, the 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 end of the match where Mero, Je- jealous Mero, gets in the ring because Rocky's trying to help Sable because Hunky Tonk Man's having to go at her. That went nowhere as well. It was the very did it? No, it, it was the very very start of Mero being jealous. But then he got injured and they kind of held it off for a bit and then right, you know, so maybe just changed plans. Then they ch- changed plans. Kept Sable on TV and should come out modeling the T-shirt or whatever. I remember that. Actually. Mero would. Be like, come on, go no, 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 cover up, and you get the tidy sack. No, no, not that, not that uh, full on at that point. It was very subtle at that point. So, like, you know, uh, Sable or Meryl would get interviewed, and then Sable would get interviewed, and then they'd cut off Meryl because something else was happening, and Meryl. So she get... starts getting jealous that she's getting the attention. Pretty much. So, it, you know, well, that done, is quite clever and very subtle as well. And they even did a magazine in like September '97. Don't ask why I remember this. Um, but it was also building up this because the magazine was used to build up storylines back then. So it was subtly done. And when it got there with Mania 14 with Mero and Sable against Luna and Goldust, I don't care what anyone says, that was one of the drawing matches of that card because everyone wanted to see Sable and Luna go at it. Yeah. But yet, no, they never continued anything from this. That's sad. Yeah. <laughs> I was interested to know where that went. Speaking of things that go nowhere, and I'm going to assume this goes nowhere. This is just like a random Nikolai Volkov sighting. Like, what's with all these legendary old gadgets turning up in these nightclubs? Yeah, he was homeless outside, living in a cardboard box, wasn't he? And Pettingill was mocking him, like saying, like he was doing like a um, location, location, but with like different cardboard boxes and that. And I was just like, that's not nice. <laughs> Speaking of not nice, yeah, go. We follow that with a magazine cover of a bright gold oh. naked pregnant gold dust. What the fuck is going on by now? I think the next week they had something planned, but within that week, it was decided either... that anything was better than than full term pregnant Vince, Goldust. Vince said he was going to give birth the following week, and uh, I don't think Goldust was even on the show. So you know, Jesus luckily they, they, they make another promise for the next week that they also don't keep. Oh, fun enough. But I I was quite pleased that they didn't keep the gold dust birth promise. They <laughs> really didn't want to see what that entailed, uh-huh. but um. After that, you get the headbangers no longer as nuns against Furness and Lafon. You said, why wouldn't you have him on, on the card? The last match is Furness and Lafon, and cuts it off, cuts off. It? Yeah. And they promise that it's going to be on next week. <laughs> he manages to wrestle twice on that show and get half a match on. <laughs> what the are they playing at? I'm re- like... Yes, they didn't. Uh, they didn't tell you who won on the next week. They didn't on. They said you would see it next week. Oh, okay. They're then. like, see, you know, this next week. You know, when he gets in that weird shouty mode, and no, they don't even. Bear in mind, it. they've got Livewire, they've got Blastoff, they've got uh, Superstars, they've got Challenge. Blastoff, I've never even heard of that one. Pettingill hosting it from his radio station, basically. Ah, oh, right. Um, right. it was just a, a quick way to get a show made. Um, I see. 
Um, but um, Lord knows they didn't have enough. Well, La- Mania turned into Blast Off, and everyone thinks Mania turned into Lavoy, but Lavoy started as its own separate Mania. Entity. Mania, the the Pengill Saturday morning show. Oh, you say that as if me or anyone else will know who that is who didn't live in New York in 1997. <laughs> well, no, hey, it was shown everywhere. Like, they did Mania from 93 to, I want to say, 96, and then they turned into, uh, turned into Blast Off because I guess it was easier for Pengill because he didn't have to travel to Stanford. He could just do... He said he did his radio show and then within half an hour did all the links for that week's Blast Off and then he was away. Sen- went, sensible. Away, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The third episode we went to on January the 18th, this is my favourite of them. If the week before is your favourite, this is in San Antonio, Texas for the Rumble. No, my favourite for, for look, but I can understand why. The, this is my favourite one. This uh, is my favourite for look and my favourite one. This yeah. was the one they felt like they took the most seriously. And it's it's hilarious to think that they were going to have gold dust given birth in Texas. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> the natural Dustin Watt. <laughs> Imagine if you just turned up in the nightclub. That's why they're calling the no. <laughs> I'm guessing there was no uh, stabbable gimmicks <laughs> there, this episode. There weren't, but you thought about Sonny looking her hottest the week before. Uh-huh. She comes out in a gingham crop top and Daisy Dukes for the Texas one and is dancing on the bar with some absolutely belter 90s country music <laughs> blaring away. And I was just like, wow, if, if WWF had been like this, I would have watched this more. <laughs> So I'm not this, even talking so much about Sonny, it's just the country music. This was the weekend of Royal Rumble 97, so they got into... I mean, And the thing is, that I've talked about Rumble 97 loads, how much they had to promote it to get barely 50,000 people in before the 20,000 mm, Pure giveaway loads of tickets. Aren't yeah, so I mean, this is all a part of that as well. And I always thought that this episode should be an extra on any Royal Rumble 97 release, like on a DVD or whatever. I think that's whatever. fair. Was, this was good television, but... You know what I loved as well? Just this is a random thing to see in the background of all of the matches is that giant neon cactus. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think that that's still there. Like, I, I would like to think it, but I tried to look to find out, but there are several places called Denim and Diamonds. I didn't try. As you might expect. We, we opened up with a really big match, but you can tell that it's in the build-up to the Rumble. I wanted to know if this was... This has got to be one of the first time these two guys faced each other. We had The Rock versus Triple H. Certainly on TV, uh, that would have been the first. I mean, if you I don't, don't count house shows and that. Well, no, I was going to say if you don't include Survivor Series '96, whether on opposite teams as well. Right. But, okay. um, but yeah, no, that would probably be there for. And also, because Jim Ross is on commentary for this as well, isn't he? Yes. Yes, he is. This was the debut of Jim Ross's hat. Was it? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, a good place to debut it, apart from he's like, I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what as well, though? Triple H says the stipulation for his match with Goldust was that at the Rumble. Yes. Did they keep this stipulation? Because he said, whoever wins gets a night with Marlena. No. <laughs> that does not sound like something they would bring up. I don't even remember that. Like... That must have been that said. He says that on a on he says various like unpleasant things on the shotguns whenever Triple H turns up stuff that he would really want to hide from now that he's the super corporate guy. Yeah. But this is when he's coming out with like Ode to Joy and he's thinking yeah. he's gonna have nights with Marlena and then we'll have like Motorhead and getting it up the pipe off Stephanie instead. So it's like <laughs> his career changed so much from like Ode to Joy to Time to make you game <laughs> 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 It's a little known fact that the three H's actually stand for honey, who hurts? So, is this the one where Jake randomly comes out and he's uh, 
Primark best. Like that <laughs> green shirt, that awful green shirt, and then he goes on commentary for a bit. I don't think so, but I really can't remember. I'll have to get through. When you watch all of these together, you see a lot of mental shit moving very, Jake randomly, very quickly. I know Jake randomly comes out and uh, the snake is in the ring, and then he, uh, he but he, like I said, he's just wearing just. He was producing shows at this point for a very short amount of time. And Jake was. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, he was on the creative team, and um, yeah, he has that awful green shirt and he's just pimping up the he, pimping he, up he the does because this isn't one he wrestles at he comes out on commentary yeah that's that's this one yes yes yeah. he does because he has another one where he does actually wrestle yeah I believe so yeah well that, I think that's the one where they use the clip for the uh, the documentary where he's just from the part of the ring yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. no this one he's, he's, it, it gets difficult to keep track of as well because virtually every match has a different guest commentator <laughs> like a wrestler comes in nearly every match and just takes over the commentary booth mm-hmm. and so yes it is Jake in that one you know when you're talking about and the... Jake fits in well I think as well on commentary as well yeah like... well he's a great talker isn't he he's an amazing talker mm-hmm. you were saying about the not necessarily being smart fans in New York the New York fans absolutely shit on The Rock, whereas these Texans were cheering him straight away. He had the full babyface treatment. I, I guess a white meat babyface would still work better in Texas, maybe. I guess so. But like, yeah. the, the crowd were behind The Rock here, and they had not been on I the other nights. Think if, I, I stand by. I think things don't change, like depending on the state and stuff like that, depending on what wrestling they were brought up on. Um, I think that, you know, the, the crowd are different throughout the country mm, yeah you definitely know, so and, and and that's not to say that like southern fans are like old school or backwards or whatever just because they oh no god uh, no enjoy... it didn't sound like that's what I was implying no 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 but I, I you know I have a feeling that a lot of people think that like you know the southern fans are what's what some Vince calling it wrestling but it's, but it's more simp- it's it. more simplistic because that's what they were brought up on like they wouldn't have I mean Smoky Mountain against ECW like a lot of the ECW stuff would not have worked in Smoky Mountain Sabu going through mm. tables and stuff vice versa like they would yeah. not have enjoyed Smoky Mountain stuff no no totally not um, except like the gangsters and that but uh, ah, well, they did enjoy the gangsters. Very much enjoy the gangsters. Whereas the Smoky Mountain crowd hated the gangsters, but that was the point. Like, Aye, you know. but they, they, they really went with the race bait there. And it, it did make me sad seeing Jake on commentary because now you've brought it up. He's he's on the New York one of those first two New York ones as one of the guest commentators as well. It's like. When he's struggling with his addictions, do you have to put him in a bar every single week? Like, that's kind of difficult. I have a feeling he volunteered to be there. And he does a he does a highlight when he's on commentary though. Generally, him and Jr. just have like a southern off. <laughs> They're just like start, start trying to talk more southern stuff. Vince in the middle just like not enjoying it. Yeah, oblivious to most of it. <laughs> but what made me long for long for the past? Not not necessarily to have this back, but it just reminded me of being young and going in bars. It's Marlena standing there smoking a cigar at the bar. Yeah. Like, that just looks crazy now. It's been so long I've been going to pubs where you're not allowed to smoke anymore. That seemed mental. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, are we getting on to potentially the highlight of the show? <laughs> Quite potentially. By the way, speaking of your honky-tonk man highlight, the casual racism stuff with the Mexicans where he's playing... Um, blackjack. That's the show. That is this. Because it's is got the, the big show. open plan area, and there is blackjack tables. Funnily, uh, funnily enough, Hunky wasn't involved in the the Rumble event as well, but they kept him in Texas. I think he might be doing the Superstar line with Sonny, which another volatile combination. Jesus, <laughs> taking phone calls. <laughs> I, I, I can only assume one of these 
one of these that he was racially abusing and stealing money from was meant to be um, Max Moon. Because there's like Max a Moody. Mexican samurai motocross Power Ranger is one of the midgets. And then there's one who's just like a boil-washed version of Mankind. <laughs> oh no, actually, wait a minute. I can remember. No, it's it's not Max Moon. It's I'm, I'm getting my weird armors mixed up. <laughs> oh, right, okay. No, this was, um, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember now. But yes, it is not the mini moon. But yeah, the, 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 again, if you watch these shows, it is chaotic. It is hard to keep up with. Now, there's a, there's a triple A match on this, isn't there? There is, yes. That is the next match. But before that, there's someone I wanted to bring attention to. Because people always say that all Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, whatever you want to call him, had, was his look. The promo where he hypes the rumble here. Oh, he's is, in the Empty Alamo Dome, isn't he? It's one of the yeah. best things I've seen him do. That promo in the Empty Alamo Dome is stunning. Mm-hmm. Really good. You can probably find that on YouTube, even if you don't want to watch the whole show. I would recommend you go and find the Psycho Sid promo for that Royal Rumble, because it is very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also got, for some reason, they cut back to New York. Even though they're in Texas. Oh, Bob Backlund. <laughs> Bob Backlund's just like still in the middle of the road where he was in episode one. Like, have you been there for three weeks? Just standing in the middle of the traffic. Like, what the hell is going on there? But yes, we get to the highlight. The triple A match. You get Mini Mankind and Hysteria, who is actually super crazy, against Venom and Masquerita Sagrada Jr. Um, maybe you can explain to us. Why is Super Crazy not being Super Crazy? I really don't know. I, I, he was in AAA at the time. He wrestled uh, in WWF that year as Super Loco as well. Did he? Yeah. Um, I guess just trying out. Maybe he just hadn't been on mass yet. Um, that's my you know guess is that you start off as a mass wrestler and then you make a big deal of losing the mask and then... I don't think you have to start out as a one. Like, but if you lose no, your mask, I think it has it, to be a big deal. I think it adds potentially longevity to you though because you know you can then become someone else it's very hard to then put on the mask once you haven't worn a mask because people know it's you basically and it would be it's just not flare black scorpion (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so that i mean that that would be my guess but i really wouldn't know i figured that's why they don't reference the fact that venom and super crazy have history because vince won't know that but it's the sort of thing that i imagine jr might know because he used to like pride himself back then on knowing like everybody's background right down to like what grades they got at college and stuff like that. That's so true. I imagine he would have known. They've been filled in as I mean that AAA cross promotion with WF was strong for Royal Rumble '97, like to the mm. point where even Latin Lover and Shawn Michaels were doing photo shoots together. And uh, really? there's a AAA magazine from that month as well where it's all about the Royal Rumble. And uh, yeah, no, they, they they really went for it. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, what you might not know that's quite cool, I found quite fun. You know the Hysteria outfit that Super Crazy's wearing for this match? I can't remember which one's which now. <laughs> well, well, Super Crazy's mad outfit and gimmick. Okay. He, that wasn't just like made up for the show. The AAA did actually create that character and it got passed on to someone else. That's interesting. That wasn't Super Crazy and I, I thought that was pretty interesting. That is. Mini Mankind is actually <laughs> a Spectrato, I can fancy his name right that time, Two. <laughs> But well, dressed as mankind. <laughs> he, and then they interview him and he replies in Spanish 
and Todd Pettengill just makes an absolute mockery of Spanish in general. And Gerard desperately tries to save face and, like, roughly translate what he's just said. Like, probably sensing how horribly racist this thing is he's involved in. Pettengill was good at, like, sort of mocking Spanish and Fre- when he'd go over at the French commentary team and stuff like that. And the, he'd be like, So, what are you looking forward to tonight? And Ray Rougeau would say something French. He'd say, Yeah, but quarter past seven. And then just walk off and, you know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> different times, you know. <laughs> you know, they had, uh, speaking of different times, they had La Parquita involved as well. Yeah. <laughs> he is another Espectrator. Really? Yes. He, You've done he, your research for he, this. He is, he is a twin. Well, because I was actually interested in these Mexican <laughs> matches. Okay, fair <laughs> so, yeah, he, he was actually, there were three of those of those minis are all brothers, all from AAA. I thought that was quite fun. That's three... Mini brothers, like that's crazy. Uh, isn't it's, it? Well, I mean, two of them are twins, but still, to have a third, I, I don't know biology, like, but yeah, that is mental, isn't it? That is crazy. But I yeah. also never know how much you've been kayfabe and it's been done as a fact. Masquerita Sagrada, he's in the match and he is something of the kind of rock star of minis, isn't he? Like, he's done TNA, WWF, WCW, AAA, CMLL, like, he has blazed a trail. Yeah, at, at at three foot odds, like he, he was absolutely an incredible wrestler, and and uh, here he is in this. Like, this <laughs> is his highlight doing the Macarena with Todd Pettingill. Sorry, no, that's a, like, to make it more confusing with Triple A. There, there is a Sagrada who is who is like the Mascarita who is the small one, and Sagrada Junior is the like. Yeah, I, I don't know how you would say it. The the us. Height, person. <laughs> I don't know what the term is for not a mini. Although, <laughs> speaking of that term, there is a funny line from Vince McMahon, an intentionally funny line from Vince McMahon, okay. which are in short supply. But uh, he's <laughs> he came out as like the kind of mixed tag that he seemed to be viewing it as. He was like two minis and two maxis. <laughs> I thought, I hope you meant that to be funny because that did really, really make me laugh. Do you notice they used proper lucha rules in this match? No, I, I don't know much about Lucha, but I know you don't have to tag. Oh, for it, but it's not just that you don't have to tag. You know, it's like I don't know the rules that well either. But for example, like where if one of you, if one of the team goes out of the ring, then the other guy becomes legal and that kind of thing. They were using those rules That's in this nightclub, and uh, there's not a lot of attention brought to it on commentary, but it gave it a very different vibe. Yeah, and I, I imagine the crowd are more susceptible to that style with it being Texas and you're like quite close you've probably seen a lot of Mexican I guess so I mean they they really like throughout 97 I mean they give the light heavyweight title a a go much later on once they they decided they wanted it back from Mishinoko Pro Um, but they just it was obviously in response to the cruiserweights which was setting Nitro on fire at that point um, I mean, God, can you remember Nitro pre cruiserweights? Bloody hell, like oh. 95. <laughs> I, I actually enjoy 95 Nitros and early 96 even less than the Russo era stuff. They're, they're granted, there are some moments that I really like in the 95 stuff, the stuff with like Sting and Pillman, yeah. and like there are some very good things, but a lot of it's really, really, really shit. And it's made worse by the fact that it makes sense. It's just shit. Because the Vince Russo <laughs> stuff just doesn't make sense and isn't really wrestling. But at least there's some car crash appeal of a fashion. 
There's a trip. Well, that's the thing though. This was done. I mean, obviously the AAA promo and stuff, but they just they could have given the light heavyweight division a, a really good go, and they just never seemed to ever really, you know. Mm, yeah, but it's one of those things that Vince and never really seems to believe in, like tag wrestling. It's like, well, we'll do it if I have to, yeah. <laughs> but but I won't like it, and we won't get behind it. <laughs> I have Austin is on commentary on this. Oh, of course, yeah. Seems quite the natural on commentary. I really liked one of the things he did where he corrects them calling everybody superstars. And he's just like, no, he's just like, you've got to be a superstar to be a superstar. And he's like correcting them that they're calling all the wrestlers superstars. Like, it's not just a word for being employed here. I yeah. really like that. Interestingly, he's like, oh, you'll not want me on commentary because I use so many you know, naughty three-letter words. And I was like, what naughty three-letter words? Like, other than NWO, what three-letter word was naughty to use on WWF at the time? Oh, I guess ass. Tate. Bum. We, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, nah. But no, this leads to my favorite segment in the entire this history is, of Shotgun Saturday Night. Um, it's one of the best things they've ever done. Do you want it, to it, describe it? It also got them. Uh, it got the even though this is midnight. I mean, I'm um, I'm guessing this might not be midnight this week, but uh, this made the network go. Nah, you got to tone this stuff down. This is what eventually got them. <laughs> off. This is eventually why they had to change. Um, the the whole concept of the show, but yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> Terry Funk, who was uh, dressed like Manny Fernandez for some reason. <laughs> well, and, and again, you know, in an attempt to get people in the arena, um, they got uh, hometown legend Terry Funk. Oh, not hometown, but home state legend Terry Funk, uh, involved. So they obviously get him involved in this as well. And this is the best thing he ever did in WWF. <laughs> he's, he, he's off his nut. <laughs> and you've got Todd Pettengill who is a fish out of water to say <laughs> he the really least. He like, is. <laughs> I don't think he was expecting any of the stuff that came out of Terry Funk's mouth. Um, <laughs> so he challenges Todd to a fight and then he's like, your mother's a whore. He does that to Austin. <laughs> Austin's been sat there in his promo and he basically does the what thing before what. Every time Terry pauses, he goes, wrong, ah. wrong. Like it was what, but yeah, just Terry just goes over to him, starts insulting him, he goes, your mother's a whore. It's just like proper angry out of nowhere. It's just like, this is amazing. And he goes, Vince, you Yankee, Yankee bastard. bastard. Oh, so yeah, no, the, uh, and then it leads to the fight with Austin and Terry. And it's just like, why wasn't that? at WrestleMania like, that was like, they'd sold that match to me on that spot yeah you've called Vince the Yankee bastard you've called Austin's mother a whore let's go <laughs> <laughs> like that's real fighting talk it's just again like 97 so unique and diverse and some of the mental things they would do that they didn't follow up on and the fact that Terry Funk did, made two appearances and then he didn't see, didn't see him again in WWF until December I mean within that time he had his ECW run and everything and won the title and, oh, yeah. so he had which a, was a feel good shit he had a, an amazing 1997 but why Vince didn't capitalise on having Terry Funk there like and, madness if it's the age thing which I don't believe in to be honest and I think that was only a a, a tool used to disparage WCW when you look at half the wrestlers now well, the age in a cage and all sort of bullshit well half the wrestlers now are older than Hogan was when they were mocking his age so I, I, was, like, when I, was, yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about when Dr. Death got injured in um, 
the brawl for all, and they yeah. were saying about then he was just he was just too old. I was like, he's thirty eight. It's like that's not that old at all. Look at half the roster. So, uh, oh God, I don't know who made the point recently, but you know when Iron Sheik was at the WrestleMania seventeen Battle Royal and you took that. <laughs> <out of three, laughs> I wish they capitalized. He on was this. eight years younger than Sting is now. <laughs> you know, what just, I wanted to oh. say, what I thought you were going to say that I really wanted to capitalize on was the Bobby Heenan line. Oh, by the time he gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 37. Why something. didn't they bring him out to WrestleMania 37? <laughs> <laughs> or cut back to the uh, cut back to the Astrodome and he finally gets in the ring. <laughs> Which would be weird because he did actually win it. But uh, I no, so yeah, the Austin Terry Funk thing, tremendous. Can you explain to me? Because cut in the middle of all this, there's a weird vignette. Don't know what they're trying to sell or anything. It's just shit. There's two really shit actors sitting George, in the Alamo George Dome, and, Adam, yeah. and it's just like the pit view doesn't start till tomorrow or something. That's like, well, why? Why are you here? What's this trying to sell? They were, if for me, it was WWF mocking its own fan base, like you what know, great idea. They were just nerdy fans who they were, were nerdy like, and stupid. They were nerdy and stupid, but also were really dedicated, and because you're really dedicated, they'll mock you. Like, I That's never, so toxic. I, I hated the George and Adam stuff. So the, they did a few vignettes like that where they're backstage at the Alamo Dome and they're like, look at these boots. I wonder who wore these. Maybe they're the Undertakers. Maybe the Yokozunas. And they did loads of clips of you and it's like, you and they did wear boots. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't he barefoot? Yeah, so like, it's just stuff like that. So they're not that dedicated then? Like, no. a, a dumbass casual I think like they generally worked for the company in some role as like, you know, they were probably cameramen or something. So, but, um, I mean, someone will know better than me. But um, So at the Rumble, they get kicked out because uh, they tried to get backstage with Todd to interview Shawn Michaels and then at the end of the show they're banging on the door and then they're like road trip to Wrestlemania and then uh, they're at the Slammy Awards and, uh, Christ so they were used loads oh they were used a lot and then Undertaker I haven't even seen that Royal Rumble and I don't remember any appearance <laughs> they were only way. right at the end and they were on the countdown so if you missed the countdown then which I did not many people saw the countdown so the um, yeah they were at the Slammy Awards and they give an award to the Undertaker and one of them pisses themselves because they're that scared and it's just like uh, oh, wait, I, was, I think we were all yeah, bodily see, we were glad to see the back of George and Adam because it's of no purpose whatsoever but yeah Continuing in the vein of seeing the back of and no purpose whatsoever, we'll get another name that is not the name. We'll get Double J for Just Joshin against Farouk as the roadie, the not chosen one, comes out to sing with Top Pettengill. Like, did they sing with my boo tonight together? Or did they sing a different I song? I think they sing something different. I can't remember. Oh, I was no. just looking at it going, oh, it's not Jeff Jarrett. The song must last at least twice as long as the shitty definitely not Jarrett match with, <laughs> with Farouk because it just ends in a ridiculous running straight away. <laughs> the, the Starburst claymation advert for the Royal Rumble teaser yep. probably lasted longer than that match. Just like, <laughs> what were they even playing at? That made me... It brought back a question that always pisses me off about the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes on about how entering at number one is like really difficult and like if you win it from number one it's incredible no one gives a fuck about number two when you come in at exactly the same time they even show the incredible feat that Shawn Michaels made it to the end of Royal Rumble 95 and I was like yeah and he eliminated number two yeah number two's harder as well because if you get in the ring you get attacked so ah, you start getting biffed as soon as you've climbed under the rope to it. yeah it's just like oh yeah man <laughs> and we end on a, pr- a pretty hot match really because we'll get Goldust versus Austin with the standard Royal Rumble spot 
where the ring has to fill with every single person you've ever employed because yeah. it's the Royal Rumble. They, they talk about because Helms they go off air with Helmsley beating up Goldust of the pool queue, um, which is or not the worst thing that happened to that pool queue. If you watched Masquerita trying to play pool, <laughs> they're the fucking worst pool shots you've ever seen. He can't hold the queue or anything. It's like he's never seen one. Yeah, I, th- I think they should have included a lot of that footage on the Rumble, like you know, uh, especially just... Terry Funk going in the cooler. Yeah, <laughs> throw him in the beer cooler full of water. It was it? Yeah. I actually wanted to hear like Tony Schiavone go, we're out of time at the end of that. There was just so much chaos going on and I thought it was great fun. And it, it, I don't know, I felt a bit deflated when we went to Webster Hall the week after. <laughs> I know it's like a legendary venue from a like music and sports perspective, yeah. but after the chaos of that Rumble one, I was like, oh wow, you had like a go-home shotgun Saturday night. Now, now Webster Hall, this is like leading into the period where I don't remember them verbatim. Because um, there's Webster Hall, another Mirage... Penn Station, and uh, there was what was the other one? No, that's it, isn't it? That is it. That is yeah. it. Yeah. The Webster Hall one. Vince makes a glorious claim at the start of it. He says that this shotgun Saturday night is going to be a bigger and better night than the Super Bowl in New Orleans, which is really, really going some. In Vince's mind, I'm sure. <laughs> probably, well, he doesn't like sport either, to be fair, does he? I'm, I'm not saying that to shit on him, just like it, it's a fairly known fact he doesn't like mainstream sport. Well, he's sort of the XFL. Like, probably. He's like, I hate football. I, I hate football, so I want to kill this too. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like, despite the Webster Hall being legendary, mm-hmm. that, like, some of the fun nightclub vibe and concepts gone because you're in like a historic Victorian theatre. It felt like a weird choice. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't like this one. It, it, has, it has an interesting fact about it actually Go in on. terms of wrestling because it's obviously better known for like gigs and that and some of the boxing. I didn't know the venue to be honest. Like... Oh, the first ever TNA event in New York was held there. It was the it's first time they broke up there. It was in 2008. It was, uh, I believe, Angle and Christian headlined it. Really? But I just thought that was quite an interesting little fact for this venue. That really Funnily is. Funnily enough, and this happened 11 years earlier, and they don't even mention it. <laughs> <laughs> the home of that one shotgun Saturday night that one time. No, I meant on shotgun, they don't mention TNA going there 11 years in the future. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, though, that although they'd lost the nightclub vibe, they still had cage dancers in a theatre. <laughs> Mankind is hilarious. When Vince has a vision, you'll go for it. Like, you know, I oh, did Mankind fall in love with the dancers. Well, like, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, he's he just kind of, first he's terrified of one, and then he, like, he goes up and, like, confronts one, and he's doing the, like, pig noise at her. Like, he's going to eat her until Bret Hart comes and attacks Mankind from the back. And I didn't know if that was meant to be a heel move, because he surprised attacks Mankind, but also, like, you're saving a stripper from well, being that, eaten alive by Mick Foley. There is that. Big sounds. This is the very start of, like, subtly turning Bret heel, because he'd already been screwed at the Rumble, so he's to already... To me, he's just saved this poor woman. That's true, yeah. Because like, Owen Hart, as well as being like, oh, this is all just a tactic by Bret to unsettle Mankind. So I thought, well, if Owen Hart's saying that, Bret Hart must definitely be a face <laughs> yeah and no Bret is still and it's, it's like seconds after he says that Bret Hart like teleports in and punches mankind you haven't seen Bret anywhere Owen just says that and then Bret's like wham <laughs> lays him out Sonny calls Owen Hart on his sexism on commentary that was quite fun really what does Owen say he calls the strippers uh, all just uh, hose bags and so that's he a, takes it to task an insult that I've heard for, for, for using that term. She doesn't like it, which is better than Vince McMahon calling them the ladies that gyrate. 
You know, and you said he's he's, he's not as square as you expected. I was like, were you expecting an actual box? Uh, I'm sure that would have taken off. If there'd have been one sign the next week that said the ladies that gyrate, there would have been T-shirts. That would, have been. <laughs> would be these days. In the they days made, they made HLA days. T-shirts, you know. Remember they did HLA, but, Hot Lesbian Action? See, I was not watching in that period. All right. Also, that is not a thing that I'm buying. Like, was, I do not like that. Bischoff brought out lesbians and they just... Got it on. <laughs> that's just, that's just terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But they made HLA t-shirts and uh, the, the payoff was uh, Rikishi came out as a dressed as a woman. And, uh, <laughs> so at least they managed to mock the trans as well as lesbians <laughs> all in one go. Anyway, back to the shocking. <laughs> what a company. Uh, this is one where you get some of the stunts we're talking about. You get Mick Foley doing mad spots off tables and ramps and shit like that. That's the first time they start doing stuff like that other than the Ahmed match. Mm. And I thought some of that was fun. And well, Foley's so creative, time. though. I'm sure he went in there and thought, right, what can I do? Like He gets creative with like the gap. There's a, When he wrestles Bulldog on one of the other shows and he like gets his leg trapped down the gap in the stage, and Foley was great at environmental wrestling for yeah. one of a better term I don't know what the hell you would call it but he was always able to look at what's around him and utilise it in an interesting way yeah it's almost like you should have been on every show with Terry Funk oh like. wonderful <laughs> <laughs> and more great Vince McMahon commentary so this goes over a break as well because this is another lengthy match and when it comes back, Vince McMahon goes, they've been going at it hot and heavy during the break. So I thought that answered that age-old question when people are like, what do wrestlers do during the break? And you know, people are like, oh, they go for a dive and they lie down outside or they go in a rest hold. According to Vince, they just start shagging. <laughs> <laughs> shagging Saturday nights. <laughs> Get romantic rest holds and that. <laughs> Another reason why this won't show up on the network. Right? <laughs> oh, definitely not on Peacock. Like. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I really wish Mankind made the pig noises when he was in the sharpshooter. You know, like when you're playing Attitude or Warzone, he's just... <laughs> all the time when you do holds on him. That yeah. would have been fun, but no. Well, he only squealed when he was on the offence, didn't he? It was kind of weird. Because yeah, it's a bit of a weird way around, doesn't it? So it makes sense why he was doing it to that woman, then. Yeah. <laughs> he made like that other noise as well when he hit people. He was like... Hach, ha, 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 ha. It was like, very weird. Well, why he stopped doing that? <laughs> Yeah, pig noise good. <laughs> Not good. Stop <laughs> shout alpha alpha or whatever it is you're saying when you throw punches. Do you think that was the original sign backstage before no leg slaps? No ha cha cha No ha cha cha fast. Undertaker's big on those. Hashoo! 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 When he's throwing punches. Um Was there an angle that Paul Bearer was further in here because I could not hear a single word and where he's trying to do the squeaky voice he's shrieking and the music's just getting louder and louder <laughs> and you can just hear this horrible scratchy squeaking one bit I picked out is he's like mortified that mankind has finally experienced like liquor and lasses and it's gone to his brain or something that's the only bit that I could decipher like he's his carer and he's just run amok like <laughs> basically yeah. right. you get more squareness from Vince in that one as well there's a pole dancer doing this like wild dance when they come in from the adverts and Vince goes she looks like she's having fun and why not it's shock on Saturday night so I was like no Vince no the idea is you're getting away from that shit <laughs> you are WWF and enough <laughs> we're, we'll get Rocky Maivia and Savio Vega so this has got to be very close to him joining the nation and that. No, in fact, this is when he's joined the nation. Yeah, this is that nation. one, isn't it? He's he has joined the nation on a house show earlier that day. So it was that day. It was, it that, was day. that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is like, was this before or after he was a Boricua? No, before. Before, right? Okay, so he goes on to do it because I remember them feuding as well, and it's just like, 
What? Well, he turns heel on? on Rocky, I think. Right. Um, and so then... this much had a story and a reason? Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. Uh-huh. Do you know what's interesting curio for it? This has got to be one of the only times Savio Vega was more over than The Rock. <laughs> That's a short time window. <laughs> also, you talked about the smart fans before, and they didn't seem that smart. There is a BWO chant Brilliant. during this. So not only is Savio more over than The Rock, but so is the Blue Meanie, Dancing Stevie, <laughs> and Hollywood Nova. Amazing. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it, it might have been within that, that, well, it was definitely that couple of weeks when uh, the BWO showed up on Raw as well. <laughs> Did that? Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. The, that was the start of like the ECW invasion proper, like in 97. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really an invasion, it was Lola challenging them, and then they showed up, and uh, Vince was like, right. Yeah, that's more like being invited, wasn't it? <laughs> they were being invited, so that's how they got around. With all the extremely yeah. crappy wrestling stuff and all that. The, mm-hmm. the, the, I, I love that stuff, like... And, that's something I should go back and watch. Actually, I did enjoy. Well, there's it. A, there's a shock on that. I mean, we don't cover here because it's not on the night. Uh, one of the uh, nightclub ones, but they went back to the Manhattan Center for a raw, and that's when the ECW invasion first happened. Yeah, because it does a jump off the jumps off the, the R. He falls off the R. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got that. Um, so, I've definitely seen that. Well, there's a few matches that night, but um, they do uh, shotgun from. From Manhattan, uh, from Manhattan. They so, advertise I, that during these. Well, like, see, I, I kind of the lump that in with those because Vince is also on company as well, so it's like the last it's one of that. It, it makes feel. it like this one as well that you're in a hall. Yeah. You know, like it's not a nightclub, but it's not an arena or nothing either. Yeah. Uh, they will not let Vince off that he calls Rocky my via Rocky Johnson on this. <laughs> Sonny gets on at him about it. Triple H does later. They make you know that it was difficult to get him over at the time. They could have helped by not making him look like an idiot. Like this is the smallest ringside area ever. I think if you pissed from the ropes, you could hit the second row of the crowd. <laughs> and somehow, Rocky Maivia gets counted out. Like if I fell forwards, I'd go in that ring, and I'm not a big lad. <laughs> like, there's, there's no way you should get counted out there. Yeah. And they carry on with the inaudible interviews of the night as well. I don't know why, since they're not in a nightclub. But there's still like blaring belting music in a theatre, so you can't hear a bloody word Jake's saying on his promo. You just get that he they they put up a card that says it's the night of the serpent. Was that an event? It, it sounds like an in your house. God, I can't even remember um, Jake being on that show. Well, like, that this is where he wrestles uh, Salvatore Sincere. So that's the one where they use all the the footage then on the documentary. That must be because the, 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 the cage dancers are still there, even though it's definitely not a nightclub. It's, it's uh, most definitely not a nightclub. Yeah, but uh, I actually, when they said the name, that, had, that had to have been his last match. It was certainly his last TV match. In that's WF. Jake's last match. Last TV match, certainly. Yeah, I uh, had no idea who he was until he was actually on screen, and he's the bloke who's the Patriot now, isn't he? He's not the Some original Patriot. Yeah. He um yeah he wrestles on the indies as the as the pit. I don't know if he does now to be fair but uh yeah he was in a tag team in WCW with Tom Zenk for a he bit. He was he was also in a tag team with Jim Powers. That makes sense. Just, so I mean it just sounds like your ultimate time. <laughs> just, <laughs> just big jocks, just big jock lads. Um yeah no so um uh, he was one of those that uh, I think general consensus is he had the look etc but he just didn't quite have the oomph the personality you could do everything you wanted him to do in terms of like having a good match and everything but it just wasn't there that's sad um but it is what it is you know honky ended up owning the patriot name i did not know that yeah 
Um, so I think you like franchised patriots everywhere. You wouldn't even think it was a gimmick people were that hot of wanting to do, like, but apparently easy, he, st- he still does it now. It's an easy gimmick for kids, though, isn't it? The USA. That's why it did not fit in, even in the Canada storyline in 1997. Like, it just didn't work. No, like, no. But we'll, we can definitely get into that at some point, but yeah. This has Triple H join on commentary with more really unsavoury comments. <laughs> some, some more, like, a. Uh, Curious stuff. He says he makes a few references about Jake being an alcoholic that made it feel very Russo era, even if he's not the right there. And you know, he they they say something about being straight, and he's and he makes some weird comment about round here, straight isn't the thing to be, and like gesturing to the crowd. And Vince goes, "Well, I heard there are a few luminaries around here," and I thought I have no idea what that means. <laughs> is is that is that a Vince McMahon made up Gaysler? Is that slur? like what is that? Because Vince is being sorry, Triple H is being disparaging about gays, and then he's like, "Well, there were a few luminaries." What? <laughs> a luminary's just guest, isn't it? Like an important guest. It's, it's I d- literally didn't even know what the word meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know who you'd have been. I don't referencing. know who was him. Unless that, Goldust I, was on the show or something, but no, because Triple H was feuding with Goldust. But I know, but he was also just saying weird shit as well. Like, the, 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 this had a thing actually. The Do you think they just me. stopped caring at this point? Quite possibly. <laughs> In fact, that'll feed into what I'm about to say. Okay. They did a thing that AEW do now, although AEW do it better, where they put a funny tagline under the under the people's names when they're coming in on their, on yeah. their place card thing. Yeah. Although the, the ones on AEW are often quite funny. Like they kept that. using those well into the syndicated versions of Shotgun they? as well. That's yeah. quite fun. Yeah. A lot of them I just don't understand this. It's like Triple H and the name card says, friends call him Bob. I was like, do they? Yeah. Why? <laughs> the one, the one that I remember definitely was Jim Cornette. They kept calling him Cheese Boy. Um, it's just what? Yeah, what? I think it was just. It, I don't know. I mean, it, that feels very Rousseau. Like it does sort of, doesn't it? You know, the whole the the kind of shitty work shoots that are offensive and unpleasant. It's like, yeah, no, nah, I don't like that in wrestling. Like, I know I've just said that I loved Terry Funk calling <laughs> Austin's mom a whore, but like that's not true. <laughs> so like that's why it's wrestling. So that's all right. Um, we end the night with uh, Jimmy Crush it. <laughs> Psycho said, Crush still not taking my advice to be the parrot man. Comes out to the nation of domination and not cheeseburger in paradise. I was really sad about that. I want You know when he throws the, the heart punch? I wanted him to be like, Malabuya! <laughs> Get them with a passion fruit pineapple punch. Just absolutely nail them out. Be tropical. Your material's been better than half of the shotgun commentary. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But can, can you tell me why is Psycho Sid Psycho with a su? Alliteration. What? Just spell it wrong to make it alliterate. Spell it wrong. Um, like just Vincism, isn't it? Like you know, it, just... is it what just not being able to spell? <laughs> I, th- I think he's smarter than that. No, just uh, I guess alliteration. That's the only thing I can possibly put it down to. You know, uh, why did they give Taz another Z? You know, just so that was because they wanted to own the name. There could be that. I mean, they might not be able to use the name Psycho. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. <laughs> I'm not the person I was thinking of you as just like the Oracle. <laughs> nah, all this shit. You're like, I mean, there'll be people that know it better than me, and then you give us like five appearances by those two buttheads whose names I forgot already. This is why I need you on interviews, because I've interviewed Sid and never thought to ask him. So, and, I, and, and I don't think I'll ever get that chance ever again. You do not so, need yeah. me on interviews, because they will hang off. <laughs> we yeah, get... yeah, Sid, why did you spell your name with an S? Like, 
It's because you're drafty. He said, because how else do you spell Sid? <laughs> no, not that part. <laughs> oh. We then get to the one that you thought was a mirage, but they are in fact back at Mirage for the penultimate nightclub show. That's the thing. I mustn't have ever seen this because I've got the, I've got a flyer for it. That's the thing, and I just thought, oh, they must have cancelled it before then. And uh, but I also assumed Penn Station was before this, and then Mirage. That's was the last one. The last one. But yeah. I mean, that yeah. has what we'll get to a very famous moment. Yeah. It was, was, it was a very ple- yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise to see that this existed. So I got to see something that I've never seen before, which is getting increasingly rarer, especially since the network won't put on any <laughs> fucking nice, rare stuff anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> I really like the opening to this one. I don't just mean the, the class music and that. If we open with, like, Todd outside a nightclub and Paul Bearer's besides himself that he can't <laughs> find mankind. And he's calling for him like he's a lost dog. And then you find him in a bin. And he's just, like, trying to get food out of a bin. And he just goes wandering into traffic and he nearly gets run over. Yeah, he gets run over, Like, yeah. there's, there's so much character build that's weird for McFoley on these shows. So far, of mankind, if all you've seen is Shotgun and you've not seen Raw, he's this guy who's, like, scared of women. He has no road safety. Everyone asks it's like he stinks he's, he's basically one of the people who defend Joey Ryan on Twitter I'm like <laughs> why, why is his gimmick that he smells bad he's in street clothes as well he's not in his ring yeah, yeah, which I is. kind of liked yeah He's in street clothes and a bin. <laughs> and, and Sonny wafts her nose so hard whenever he's nearby. Did he have the, like, Natalia uncontrollable mm. pumping gimmick? Well, no, but he did, looks like he did. I mean, he, he referenced that he was wearing the same clothes, so he's going to wear the same ones next week or something like that. So, again, Sonny... So she was preemptively fashion. knowing he's going to stink next week and no, already wafting. No, no, playing off each other. And, you know, again, Sonny, vastly underrated on commentary for putting wrestlers over and going into the gimmicks a bit. And vastly just, underrated in general, Sonny oh, was great. Without a doubt. Without I'm not, that, like, we've made loads of horny jokes aside and all that, but like as, as a talent, I thought Sonny was great. Uh, I, I enjoyed everything. She, she was did. as important to that few years before the Attitude Era in terms of not completely driving off every fan. <laughs> for, this, for me, the stuff with her is, if it's even a word, more attitudinal than the actual Attitude Era. Well, I've, like, I've, the 97 stuff still has good wrestling. It's more risky and it. I in certainly in think places it, make sense. It made them legitimately feel contemporary as well with other forms of entertainment. Just having someone like Sonny be natural and oh, sexy definitely. and everything else. And They've gone about our AOL most downloaded. See, I told you, yeah. I told you Connie killed WCW because <laughs> she's the most downloaded AOL woman. I'm like, damn it! <laughs> in 97, they were preempting it there. Oh, aye. God, aye. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> we'll go on from there for Ahmed Johnson versus Vader and... Like, <laughs> it's quite funny because the show a bit where mankind's trying to explain the little run in the hat on, I don't know if it's Raw or Superstars, but where essentially the wrong person gets chaired. He goes to chair a Godwin and he accidentally chairs Vader. But he's like, it all happened so fast. And he just walks over in slow motion, swings the chair dead slowly. And the Godwin avoids and Vader's like, fuck's sake. And then gets chaired. It's just like, well, that's the thing. If Vader's going to be hit by a chair, he'll make that look as real as possible. Even like, though it was a terrible chair shot. And he's like, wham! <laughs> they definitely shouldn't have shown the clip if he was going to say it all happened so fast. Because it does not happen fast at all. Well, he's got that gammy eye, hasn't he? So, like, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> True. Do you know, there's a great, great line from Vince McMahon in this match. <laughs> now, I, I'm often critical of his commentary because he often sounds like, if you took Tony Schiavone and got him to shout in the wrong places and forget the names of the moves, <laughs> that's a lot of Vince McMahon commentary. But at this point, Ahmed comes out with a big plank 
when he's coming to face the, face the nation. And Vince says, an equaliser, if you would. <laughs> I was like, I really hope you meant that really pun. Because that that <laughs> that's belt of that. I absolutely love that. <laughs> According to his name card as well, Mike Tyson is afraid of Ahmed Johnson. I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't have, should have showed him that shotgun. Wouldn't have turned up for Mania. <laughs> to be fair, actually, there was a time I was very afraid of Ahmed Johnson. Those pictures you showed me where he's doing the like country girl on Instagram. Oh, the denim shoot. Pants. He's in the denim <laughs> pants. Was, that was scary. That is not how I ever imagined I would see Ahmed Johnson. Yeah, speak for yourself. He, he told me that, that <laughs> it's, was... You were scared stiff. <laughs> that, that, he said that that was the highest... I don't know how you would know this, and I'm assuming it was a lie, but he said it was <laughs> the highest uh, selling WBF magazine amongst gay fans. Um, because it's a well-known measured metric when you go to buy the magazine they're like excuse me sir are you gay were you ever asked when you bought if you were gay well the thing is it wasn't like he was even on the cover it was like in the middle of the magazine so unless you were flicking through it and then we're like what the fuck this has swayed me into buying this magazine (laughs) but yeah the the only downside for me because this was entertaining stuff I don't like seeing Vader used like this. He's just like a fall guy in a match that ends in total farce. People always go on about Bret Hart being so badly booked in WCW, and he was. I think Vader was booked even worse in WWE. I think Vader had given up by this point. I think once... But the thing is, he was all about... He did too much in matches as well. He got slammed in every single match. Which took away. But any... That's maybe too much in WWF, but like, there's nothing so. wrong with selling elsewhere. Like, Vader made mistakes of coming yeah, in and wrestling like a. Don't you think like a, bo- a body slam should, like on Vader, should be a big deal? Not having Shawn Michaels do it, or you know. Um, I don't know. It just makes him like everyone else. I think when when. But you he look... wasn't in WCW. No, but that's he, but, would, he, he would w- sell and give, and then he would beat fuck out of people, and the matches looked real. But that was him in these first two days in WWF as well. Aye, so, so they booked him well for two days, and they used him like shite after. Well, you know what happened? The Shawn Michaels happened. The SummerSlam '96 match, mm-hmm. um, and and Vader also got the blame for the the event not drawing. But they had also went around the entire country doing house shows, and it's like, well, what do you expect? No, no one, no one wants to see it on pay per view. They've already seen it, and they've saw me lose cleanly and it got to the point where Vader was losing within 30 seconds on dark matches to Michaels the, oh, like, disgusting yeah even there's, there's bits where it's just like a proper felt for Vader like he goes to hit the Vader bomb and Ahmed takes so long for the spot that comes after <laughs> Vader just starts bouncing on it and he just bounces and bounces like he's on a trampoline for ages and all Ahmed does to reverse it once he's eventually got up is lumber over and toe kick him in the arse <laughs> And then Vader proper sells it, obviously, and, like, tumbles off the turnbuckle. I'm like, ah, hell yeah, man. That's amazing. I don't remember that. (laughs) That's how you would, I guess, get out of it, though. you just kick him off the... He'd kick you in the arse. You'd go, ow, you'd kick me in the arse, and then you'd Vader Vader bomb him anyway. (laughs) They have a moment after this that, like, to me, sums up WWF trying to be, like, edgy and hardcore in a nutshell. You get Thrasher showing how crazy he is by getting a little tea light... And pouring wax on his tattoo, and they act like he's just doused himself in petrol. <laughs> it's just like this is a tea light. I burned myself by accident like that, and I'm trying to be romantic. See, I forgot about that, but I do remember him throwing up on Mosh. Oh, that when they're just puking in each other's faces. Yeah. What the fuck? And I'm guessing that was probably legit because they don't care. Like, but, but Vince just loved puking as well, didn't he? he had draws. He's, he's gonna puke. Oh, he's gonna puke. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, they had another great sounding concept, but I don't know if it was like a partridge among the pigeons kind of thing. There's a great name and there's no concept. They had United We Stand and Divided We Brawl or something like that. Like, was, was that a thing? Or was Probably it like Night of the Snake where they're like, cool concept, won't use it? And, and again, like, I've only just watched it and I've already forgotten half the stuff that I've done. <laughs> but again, though, you're just given about a million things within like 40 minutes. I mean, that's everything I've told you that's happened in the first match. <laughs> the second match, we're still going with big names, like, and this is where you get a load of those cool environmental spots. And mankind is set up with some great commentary ready for the British Bulldog and then they have a match together Mankind's in the Trumpy Street clothes and Bulldog's in the wrestling gear this was a fun match it was a good match and I thought they told the story where Mankind's this weird lunatic and Bulldog's like a proper wrestler and this is where they do that you know like when Arn Anderson gets his head stuck in between the rings and the war games (laughs) at Wrestle War I want to say 92 they do like that spot with Mankind's leg and it's really effective and good there's also a part where Vince yells another cook out which I thought is that was showing that this is not raw (laughs) this is in fact cooked (laughs) overdone by this point certainly the the only point that's bad in this otherwise great match is the ref distraction spot I don't like those at the best of times I think they make the referee look like a tool like if you can have a ref bump and get the ref knocked out but you know if it's just like hey ref look over there and then there's like a lad as big as Davy Boy Smith about and now four metres away from you getting dropped on some metal railings yeah. you would hear that loud noise and you would just instinctively turn around because there's a huge crash behind you and the ref's like gee ain't nothing here and then he turns round like oh I probably hate those spots other than that the match is great and it has that Mankind music that I forgot existed you know, after he wins and they play the Oh, the music piano is, music. Yeah, it's basically like the tragic Laura Palmer music of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, ah, really like that on that player. I'm season. sure that's what he said it was based on. Um, what, like, Twin Peaks? I'm, I'm, a good guess then. <laughs> no, no, he mentions it in, in one of his books, but also the different theme musics for opening and closing were based on something in particular as well. And I'm guessing, That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Twin uh, Peaks had different opening and closing oh, well, music. Oh, well, I, I would almost bet that it was based on Twin Peaks. Like, but it, but it, they did it right then. It, mm. it, I definitely got that vibe. And he goes with the crazy that he could be like one of the mad possessed people on that or something. It, it works. Yeah. I didn't really understand why Bulldog and Ahmed like fence with fence posts afterwards and they have like a plank off. Like, <laughs> what were the day in there? Like, what's that about? I've, I've got no answer. <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> things for the sake of things at this point on shotgun. He got more things that we'd seen before for the sake of the things. Is that Savio Vega and Jesse James with two M's, so I don't know if he's like Jesse Jammies, <laughs> Jesse Jams, they have a match with each other. Sonny finally says that she is sick of visitors at the commentary booth, and she's right, because there's always someone invades in every single match, and she hardly gets a bloody word in. Yeah. And they blast the Nation of Domination music while Savio's cutting a promo and Vince just talks over it. <laughs> he just like, talks over the whole thing. You have no idea what's going on. But yeah, well, okay, why was Jesse James spelt wrong? They caught, I don't imagine the original Jesse James had like copyrighted his name and was going to come back from the dead. I'd, I'd never remember it with two M's unless it was always with two M's and I've just never just noticed never it. Noticed. Well, I mean, he like, felt Road Dog with two G's. That's true. It's just like, maybe he really can't spell. <laughs> it's just like his names were always wrong like his gimmick might just be that he couldn't read 
Whereas his gimmick just seemed to be that he was not Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> that was basically his gimmick, yeah. There, there was nothing really of note about that match at all. <laughs> Leads into the Godwins against the Headbangers with this infamous puke off. Why, why, why are they puking off each other and shoving people in each other? Interesting as well that it, like, they came back to Mirage and it was the Flying Nuns against the Godwins, the rematch. Oh, long term booking. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the Godwins I'm sure they had danced that... in front of the strippers. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, well, I think like Vince had this thing about like wrestlers out of the element. I think he liked, especially with like rednecks, just like have them. He just... did love to humiliate rednecks. So if you watch the Headbangers versus the Godwings, you could really see how little he thinks of alternative culture or the South and rural life well, in general. I think it was. I think it was this show where Phineas is on commentary as well, and him and Sonny like because they've got the storyline going back to the previous August and everything, and they build all that. Back Those two do where... a lot of yeah. Yeah, they, they do bring up a lot of that, and it's pretty good. I don't know why Phineas has to be dumb, but if anyone's from the country, they're always dumb on WWF <laughs> for some reason. Um, they talked about how the Godwins go duck hunting in Central Park and I was desperate to see a Tuesday Night <laughs> Titans-style segment of the Godwins actually duck hunting in Central Park. That would, be, that would be amazing. <laughs> was Hillbilly there? Uh, no. Was he not? Oh. Uh, he was at one of them, but I don't think it was this one. I think he was, was on like the first, the first one, one. Yeah, because yeah, didn't he cover Phineas's eyes when... Molina got... Yeah, he does. Like that. This is part like... of those old gadgets all appearing <laughs> like, randomly. Uh, uh, Vince keeps alternating between Thrash and Thrasher on commentary as well. I did notice that, yeah. I think God, he did the same with um, Knobs and Sags. He kept calling them Skags. Boz, like Ricky Boz Skags. Skags. I Ricky Skags. <laughs> <laughs> Who looks exactly like, um, what's his name? Um, Greg Valentine. Yeah. Who looks exactly like Linda Robson. There you go. There's three, three degrees of separation. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That brings us to our final, and this is a one that if you haven't seen Shotgun... We come to our last nightclub show. I know we wouldn't normally kind of dissect show by show the way we have today, but <laughs> with with it being so hard to find, I mean, you, you can look it up on YouTube if you want, but it does all look like it was filmed on a potato because it's such low quality getting VHS ripped onto bloody YouTube. <laughs> so I thought we would go through it a bit more. So you kind of got the idea, basically. You know what we've been watching. So, with no further ado... And, and there is something on this particular one that... With is some a, further ado. Yeah, there, there is... Sorry, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, there is something on this one that ended up on the network as well. Yes, and it is great. Yeah. We get to Penn Station in New York City. <laughs> you know, there's something that's so dated already by 97 at the start, but I still loved it. The Undertaker coming out... And they're blasting um, Crazy Train by Ozzy, which is already an ancient song by now. <laughs> and he's just like, it's the subway train to hell. <laughs> just a, the, that was a fun opening to a show. I like dumb shit like that. That really was. The previous week of Vince already like shit on it because I think Phineas is like, oh, we're going to be down by the trains. He's like, no, we're going to be up by the, the you know, the bit in the entrance. Oh, Vince, how are you, man? <laughs> to be fair, though, how dangerous would that be? It would have been really dangerous. <laughs> It's this has a really fun and unique look by literally they're wrestling in a train station. Like this reminded me of you know the Mall of America Nitro, that kind of bizarre visual just in a good way. Real random people just walking past. I just absolutely random members of the public in that. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we started out with crushing. What what kind of permission do you have to get to, to do 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not that up with uh, whatever council laws there were in New York City in 97, so I'm probably not the one to ask on that. Like, I was a 10-year-old in Burnerfield. Maybe, maybe Martin works in the trains. I think he'll know. So, <laughs> so aye, we, we had Crush and Farouk against the Godwins. Um, the, I didn't have a lot to say about that other than it was really pleasant to hear Don't Go Messing With a Country Boy instead of that, like... Midi banjo dildo in, in your in, ear that you experience on the network. In Penn Station, it was having a blast and just getting off the train. <laughs> Don't go messing with the country boy when you're like getting off to go home from work and that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, as well? When you said about the rights to get, it must have been a funny on because Vince thanks the supervisor loads of times during the show. Right. On commentary, he constantly puts him over. He does it in this first match. This is the first time he does it and he's like, thank you so much for letting us hear. The, the train services are so great at Penn Station. I'm like, oh my God, you haven't put Vince over... never ruined a you're, train. You're putting over trains. It's quite funny because you go from Vince McMahon talking about trains mm-hmm. and it's as partridge as could possibly be to then suddenly this really cool advert for like Thursday, Raw Thursday with, you know, that like proper metal music that had that now, 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 now music for it and I was like oh yeah. well that's quite funny after we've had him saying because they're lovely trains <laughs> <laughs> well they were um, I think they built up uh, it was Michaels and Sid the rematch on Thursday Raw Thursday and then, but then that was the Raw when Michaels lost his smile um, which ended up <laughs> yeah um, but uh, yeah no, I think a lot of people don't realise that it was meant to be Michaels and Sid the rematch and It'd be interesting. Michael's already lost a fight in a pub and didn't fancy losing one on Raw as well. <laughs> I'm guessing Michael's probably would have won that match, and because I think they were leading to Michael's and Brett at Mania still at that point, and uh, yeah, just an interesting fact. Yeah, aye, it was. I mean, if that little vignette was the only really interesting thing about that match, <laughs> there wasn't a lot going on. But the real moment of this is the the next match that comes up, and that's what Paul's referencing that you've probably seen on the network, and is a very cool visual. It's also a rarity that this is the first time, and the only time in the nightclub slash theatre slash train station era of shotgun, <laughs> that you get a belt defended. I forgot that. Triple H brings out the Intercontinental Championship to face The Undertaker, which, like, did they feud over that belt? Even seeing Taker go for the IC is bizarre. I was going to say that was probably Taker's from what I remember is only ever IC title match I mean someone will write in and, uh, no, no doubt but uh, no no it was just uh, it, one of those matches that Triple H was very much in his feud with Goldust at this point and Undertaker was still feuding with Paul Bearer uh, and Mankind Invader and he was kind of floating at this point because I mean who I don't think anyone would have bet that he would walk out of Mania as champion no uh, but uh, obviously you know circumstances uh, led to him being the best man for the job, I guess. That's the mania where Sid poos himself during the tombstone as a take has to probably off the poo. Another question I didn't ask him, because I was just like, right, Did I'll... you ask if the squirrel bit his balls? All of those... What questions did you even ask? I'm... See, that's the thing. I, <laughs> this like, is why I'm not I had a list, I was just like, right, I'm not asking about the scissors, the leg, the shit in yourself, the squirrels, softball, any of the... I couldn't I... have not asked about the softball or the squirrels. The scissors, I'd, I'd want to leave him be. I wouldn't want to... He'd probably get sick of being asked about that. It took me about five months to get Sid on the phone. So you I, didn't I, want I, to be I... like, so, squirrels in your pants, eh? Hello? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was on my best behaviour for that one. Ah, I'm not surprised. He is, after all, the master and the ruler of the world. <laughs> 
Joseph Later's entrance on this, very cool. They like film it from him getting out of the limo outside and they are fucking blasting over to joy because it's so loud outside. Anyone in that train station so has been deafened. To, like when they used to blast classical music at Elden Square bus station to scare away the child. Oh, but this was truly, <laughs> truly blasted. Like this was like no I've ever heard. They were blaring that Imagine music. Imagine all like the, you know, people on drugs. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I might just get off the train stoned as shit. Oh, the joy's fucking absolutely blasting. And Undertaker's standing there waiting for Triple H to come and face him for the IC belt. You're like, now nah, I'm getting back on the train. Like, what is this? <laughs> I have to say, though, I really like that era of Triple H. I like that persona, that arrogant, horrible character. And I actually like Triple H until all that King of Kings shite starts, and then I'm just. Yeah. Evolution onwards, I don't like Triple well, H. Even by that before point, that. Well, even by that point, he went, he moved away slightly from just jockey, you know, with a long red coat, Triple H. Oh, when he was coming in like, hello, I'm a blue blood. What, and, what? and he still was to a point at this point, but he he got a bit more of an edge to him at this point. This, was, this right was more that he was a snob rather than an aristocrat as well, yes. wasn't it? And this was right before China as well. Um, and yeah, no, yeah, I enjoyed the character at this point. And, um, he stopped being punished for the curtain call and all that kind of aye, stuff. Aye, aye. Yeah. The only thing that was letting down the entrance was the incessant train references from Vince McMahon. I was like, <laughs> I am well, well over these now. Like, to, if, I was, if I was Vince, I'd be telling him, this is the end of the line, Vince. Like, I have had it with your train references. Where would the locker rooms have been? Yeah. Uh, I would imagine like a staff room or something like that, you know what I mean? Or like in the little Brit, well, the, whatever their version of the BTP is, like, did they have a room you could get changed in? Or just, a, I just like the idea of a public toilet in the cubicles, just, you know. <laughs> I know you like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, all I know is Vince did not look at home. <laughs> in he did not. New York. He, he, train did, station. He, he did not. <laughs> Didn't know what trains were until then. That's why he's getting his, his mileage. There's a really cool thing that is not the famous spot that we're about to discuss. Something you nearly never see. A reversal of a belt shot. Right. He he goes to, like, hit uh, Taker with the belt. And you know, like, on old video games where if someone hit you with the belt and you press block at exactly the right time, you could go, like, and you could take it off them. Right. Taker does that to Triple H, and you never see that in wrestling. Like That's fun. It's just a belt, as usually you get clocked, you're going down... For some reason, you die forever because the metal faceplate <laughs> makes the belt wave like tons and tons, even though they're swinging it and it's clearly a belt. But I, he reverses it and takes it off him. I, I really like that. I thought it was cool. That's cool. Um, the cool spot, not the computer game character, is Taker tombstones <laughs> Triple H on the top of the escalators. And <laughs> Triple H just lies on them as the escalators carry him all the way down. That is one of the best visuals of any of these episodes. That, that was great. amazing. Um, what was the first time they used that off shotgun? Because I'm imagining a lot of people have not seen shotgun. Um, what, they used that footage? Yeah, because um, I definitely had seen that before. They made a, um, I do remember they made a Force Count Anywhere DVD. And it was the best of Force Count Anywhere matches. And uh, a lot of them were just pay-per-views and rolls and stuff. But then they put that, they put that on there. 
Uh, like in the sense to put the Austin Funk one on an Austin DVD is like a hidden extra. Right. Um, so that is that is on there. Um, Never understood hidden extras. I don't want an Easter egg. Just I've paid for it. Let us watch it. You don't have to like undo some code or play mahjong or something to try and watch a pretty match. <laughs> well, I, f- I think they also put that on the 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 did a birth of the actual because they've got a. They realise now how cool 1997 is, so they'll ring every last, you know, bit of... Every penny out of it. Yeah, so I'm sure that match is on there, and uh, I think it's elsewhere on the network as well. Cool, because I'd definitely seen that before, and like not on the network, so I don't know if it appeared on a Raw or on Superstars or somewhere, but I'd seen that visual of them getting tombstone. It was probably shown on TV, because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Because it looks so fun. Yeah. The, the, there's a bit that you'll definitely not see anywhere. <laughs> it's so shit that Todd Pettengill actually goes, Vince, just stop, this isn't working. And cut away from it. But for some reason, in the distance, Todd is on someone's shoulders and he's like meant to be interviewing a kid who's having this like great moment where they're getting on WWF TV. I don't know if they've won a prize to be there or something. You just can't see them. You can't hear them. It's been filmed from miles away. There's all a crowd in the way. And then like the kid and his parents starts trying to talk and, and Todd's like, no, Vince, it's not going to work. Really? Let's, just, let's just go to something else. This isn't happening. And then they go to Aldo Montoya Brilliant. versus Savio Vega. Yet not yet credible. Why did he have underwear on his head? Well, it's like, oh, he's Portuguese, so of course he wears pants on his head. I was like, this isn't a trope that I've known of Portugal. Age old question, isn't it? Like, uh, uh, why is he Portuguese? Just incredible's not Portuguese. No, I think he's got Portuguese heritage. Does he? Yeah. Right. Oh no, so then Vince was just like, then you are just so no, so you are Portuguese. You are the man of war. Put these pants on your head, Justin, and you're called Aldo. Is that a Portuguese name? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> well, you know, the original gimmick was he was going to be just a full-on soccer player, and for whatever reason, they didn't go with it. But I mean, I guess that would be more Portuguese. I love football in Portugal. Yeah, he was just and and the the gimmick was their attempt he was going to be Figo. They were they were trying to break into the Portuguese market. I guess that's why you get what by putting underwear on just his head. Look, I wasn't there. I didn't. You know, I'm not. I wasn't part of creative. Sadly, um, <laughs> did you see the cut of picture in picture in the match? The most meaningless picture in picture ever. Just the matches going on. And you know, they've been doing this on all of the shows to interview like managers or someone else in the feud. There's a random guy with a pedo attach and a flasher mask <laughs> who just, he's called Terry. <laughs> and he whips out a Vince McMahon doll that he's like, this is my Vince McMahon doll that was produced in 1985. And Todd Petten goes, that's great. Back to the match kind of thing. I was like, What? What the hell is going on here? They That's did, like dodgeball. They did a very... God, Royal Rumble 97 as well. They did two of the most... I mean, okay, they cut to Colin Ray during a match and they interview him. And then... Colin during, Ray like the country singer. The country singer, because in Texas. And then uh, and the, him and... Uh, he sings a song or something. And then mm. during a match as well. Like, <laughs> but the thing is, though, like during the Undertaker Vayner match, they have Todd Pettengill interviewing some girl who like babysat to raise the money to buy tickets for the show and it's just like back to the Undertaker Vader match that we're selling the pay-per-view on (laughs) you know what I mean it's mental but but back to the kid that won the competition I love that you won a competition to visit a public place anyway well done you've got to come to a train station and not be seen or heard on television back to you Vince at midnight as well when he's a man (laughs) (laughs) as well um Vince shows that he's a lizard person or robot as well because he goes to shill like a boxing event 
that's presumably something tied in with either them or the train station, aren't they? Mm-hmm. But instead of saying, like, the 1st of March or March the 1st, he goes, this boxing event on March 1. March 1. <laughs> <laughs> he does like doing that, yeah. <laughs> March 1. I've never heard anyone refer to the date like that. Hello, everybody, on this sunny April 2. <laughs> Yeah, that's another Vince thing. Again, I think if you ought to try and get into the head of Vince McMahon and why he says and does certain things, you know. There's such a chaotic ending. (laughs) This is the penultimate match of any of this series that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And the nation running to save Savio, basically, and beat up... The nation on a lot of these shows. The nation on all all over this, for some reason. (laughs) So the match totally breaks down. Not yet credible is getting beat down by the whole of the nation... And naturally, two pig farmers, the Godwins, who are also all over this, the two pig farmers, just to, to, to hype how country and, and they are and all that, they should have come on like a fucking steam train. And it's the Orange Blossom Special arriving at Penn Station of the Godwins. <laughs> and, but this, to be fair, at least it goes somewhere. I'm not sure it's anywhere particularly fun to go. But uh, Crush and Farouk versus the Godwins and Aldo Montaya in a, in a rare trios match. They're and really they trying to make us turn off the telly. I <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really not going out in that eye. And this is where the crowd chant boring. There's a fucking well, train station of people yeah. who've paid fuck all chanting boring. <laughs> Oh, the cat's just... I'm getting uh, mugged by a cat here. This cat's running. I mean, add her to the match. Add him to the match. He can join the Godwins and Aldo Montoya. He's got as much right to be together as they do. Dear God. And yeah, that's how it ends. This mad, <coughs> interesting, creative chaos that could have been so much more if they really got behind the concept ends with people chanting boring because, uh, to be fair, Vince makes a good save. Right. Vince actually says... He doesn't say in these exact words, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says that the crowd are bored of the nation shit, essentially. So it's like, yeah. we are bored of the nation running in and ruining matches. I mean, it's, it's I understand it, but like it's just, come on, you can't pull the wool over people's eyes at this point. Like, What were they doing with Pat Patterson as well? What? Pat's just there. And he, he gets slopped. He's like got some kind of African rainbow robe on <laughs> with like a 70s turtleneck under it. And he gets hit with a slop bucket. It's like, what the fuck is well, going on? It was his birthday as well. I'm sure the reference it was his birthday. Ah, there's wrong, so it? much happening like every 15 seconds here. Because then it cuts to like Triple H on the escalator dead. And then it suddenly <laughs> cuts to some man called Curtis in a beret. And then it cuts back to Pat getting pissed oh, well, in his face was, again. Was that not Mr. Hughes? Was Cur- it? Curtis Hughes? Oh, right, it's just like, and quickly, here's Curtis in a beret. And now, in case you didn't see it, 30 seconds ago, here's Pat Patterson getting picture in his face again. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting motion sickness from the honest stuff changing here. Yeah, to be honest... That's I'm... the last image, him with shit in his face. I think that's a... He's laughing, so he gets. literally has a shit-eating <laughs> grin as they go off the air. Sonny said, they... said being spat on is worse than that slot bucket, and after all of the fucking rumours about things people did in that bucket before it was thrown on her, I have to tell you, darling, it probably isn't. It probably is not. Well, the, the thing is with the shocker, I mean, I don't know. Could you have continued going around New York venues at midnight? I think the... Well, you could always just not do it at midnight. That, that is true. And they could have stayed in the same venue. Really I would have done what like... normal wrestling does in a nightclub where you do an event in it before they open as a nightclub. Yeah. Get, get like, f- a few hours of extra drinking time in, sell tickets on the door, clean up for an hour, open as a nightclub. You know, like normal, 
<laughs> I've, I, I have a feeling that as soon as like they entered the Penn Station for that day, Vince was already like, nah. They were clearly like, over it by that point, especially <laughs> all the Montoya shit. Like, it's the same with like, the Crush and the Fruit and the Godwins. So, like, fuck this. We've already arranged to go here. We'll just throw anything out. The, 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 I guess if there's a saving grace to me for Shotgun ending at this time, it was leading very nicely into Rose War. Becoming right. like ah, the yeah, show yeah, at that yeah. point, ah. so it wasn't like just this. Roy is risky now. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. just this mid little period that like you can't even remember if it happened or not because it was just six it weeks. It does feel just... like a fever dream, like it's <laughs> insane. But yeah, I, 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 I actually did and really enjoy these. It was chaotic, and I, I think they could have gone much further with it, to be honest. And, and the thing is, though, it they could have made them have you know, you've already mentioned earlier they were producing like 840 shows a week. Why not just have one that's a small venue, ECW-style show? Like It's almost like writing the blueprint for stuff like NXT now. I'm guessing, as well, it made no money for them, as well. Yeah, like for the, for, I mean, apparently Vince didn't make a profit on Raw for like the first two years. Like, but, but you, at least because they're just... What, the what do you call that, isn't it? Like, front-end loading or some bullshit, where you like get ready to make losses? Mm. So like that, that, that makes it, I mean, I'm well, business man. Vince... So, um, well, I wouldn't be doing the podcast for you if I was a business man. <laughs> oh, fine. <laughs> uh, so Brian Solomon, who was a, a magazine writer, uh, who I, I've interviewed a few times. Um, I was going to say I know the name, but that's because I've actually heard well, you he, talk he, about him. He yeah, he currently writes for PWI, amongst uh, other things as well. And um, he interviewed Vince in, I want to say 2003, it was for the 10th anniversary of Raw. And he asked them about uh, the the idea of Shock on Saturday Night. And, Vin- and Vince just basically said... And this is probably the first time he's even talked about Shock on Saturday Night in years. Right, even, but he even forgot it himself. <laughs> so he said it was just a, an attempt to basically... Like how Raw started in the small venues. It was just an attempt to have New York be their hometown again. And just, you know, it just... He said it... He admits that it just didn't work. Have a different a commentator. Have someone else in charge of it all together. Make it a different thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. But I mean... NXT does that well now. It, it I had a look there, like MLW is always in nightclubs. Yeah. And like it looks cool. They just they don't you don't need to throw as many gimmicks. I could have done without the strippers and cage dancers and that. Like you're already risque by being in a bar and letting characters use profanity and like do more risque shots and hardcore stuff. Okay. You do you you don't need sex to sell it I've never been a fan of using sex to sell wrestling really mm. you notice it quite well with wrestling now like I'm not one for all that shit you used to get with you know like lingerie battle royals and TNA and like mud wrestling on Nitro and Raw and stuff like that I just don't like that stuff but there's so many like really beautiful women in wrestling now and it still gets the male eyes and everyone's like wow but then the women are like having real feuds and doing real wrestling and like I don't know it's just a they are presented in a way that they are wrestlers and athletes still and like I, I get just as excited seeing a woman like Ty Conti for example wrestle she's absolutely beautiful and incredible to look at and she's a great wrestler as well and like I would rather see that than see like strippers on wrestling and see people throwing KOI jelly on each other and shit like no, I agree. watch I agree. porn if you want to watch that or actually meet a woman but, <laughs> well I think the, the thing about the shotgun before before we uh, wrap up the, about the concept of it is I think we probably I mean I guess people look back on it with I guess confusion and a bit of intrigue I guess but I think if it, it went on for longer than those six weeks knowing what WWF were like, it probably would have died a horrible, horrible death. Ah, probably. Um, and, you know, I think it, it goes to 
again, why I like that time period particularly a lot is that they were being experimental. They didn't know what Shotgun Saturday Night really was. And you can tell, finished. No, and you can tell, and maybe by the time Russo took over, maybe it would have had a, a more suited feel for New York, and I don't know. He he like, would have probably done a better job with it if you let if you let him do the mental shit here. But then again, the mental shit he did, I didn't like it. But I'm in the minority when he was at WWF. Like it was super popular the stuff he was doing there. Yeah, it drove me away. Like, but... <laughs> well, again though, like a lot of it, uh, oh, I don't know. I'm just, We've talked about this before, but like a lot of it was like blink and you'll miss it kind of stuff for the storylines, and it not was a lot worse of, on Nitro. Like. That's true, and not a lot of it was particularly almost designed to make any money. It was just designed to keep your attention, just throw anything at the screen, and well, just, and that was Sting a, and Vampiro is an example of that. They yeah. were like a tag team one week, and then they split up the week after, and they had like the blow off match the week after that. So if you'd missed them being a tag team, you don't know why. The commentary's like, they used to be like brothers, what, a fortnight ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you mean. So, right, this, uh, we went through, uh, that was a lot of fun, we went through every single shotgun in <laughs> the most minute detail possible. So, yeah, no, shotgun uh, lasted a couple more years and eventually got replaced by metal. Um, I remember that. In 1999, and, uh, you know, shotgun by the end was, I mean, definitely a shell of its... Uh, for myself. The rest of 1997 Shotgun, just because it was still tread kind of like a B-show at that point, where you know, there were some minor storylines and mm. you got to see some talent that you would never see anywhere or some TV as well. And you get to see... You get, like, heat in that, isn't it? Well, yeah, but, I mean, in the sense of, as well, you got to see the evolution of certain characters as well. This is mm. where the New Age Outlaws kind of built up their slow build to leave not being Jesse James and... Rockabilly anymore, and uh, I always forget he was Rockabilly for a while. What and, and bloody the, horrible gimmick that was! <laughs> and, the, and the one thing about '97 as well, because of like everyone leaving at the end of '97, it's interesting to see how many wrestlers lasted until December. If you didn't watch Raw, you wouldn't have known. You'd have no idea they were still there. Oh, yeah, like the the was like that as well, wasn't it? Uh, Furnace and Lafon was still there by December 97 and you know uh, January 98 to December 97 feels like a million miles away in terms yeah, of like, really how much it changed by that point but uh, yeah we want to thank everyone for uh, listening to this as well and we hope that um, you know it's a shame that you won't get to see them unless you want to watch them yeah, yeah, they're on YouTube all of them unfortunately except the Denim and Diamonds one I think Yeah, I was able to find a lot of them going online but we had to use the old tape traders for the Denim and Diamonds one. And it's it's the only must see episode, unfortunately. And and after the sixth one as well, there was a uh, there was a best of show which I don't think I've seen, but I would love to see what they'd considered. Uh, who who puts a best of? Them? You know these last six episodes. Here's the best of. Jesus man. They, well, they probably were supposed to do a seventh, and they were like, "Fuck this, let's just fill this spot." <laughs> Where were they booked? Do you think? Like, <laughs> if I if I knew more nightclubs in New York, I tell you. You know what? Considering Vince was mate of Trump, you think Trump would have let him use one of his venues, like the Ice Rink in uh, Central Park or something like Aye, that? But they were, like, I, is Trump still your mate when you're struggling though? Like, <laughs> Vince Vince was in the shits there, so I don't imagine he was Trump's mate then. Mm. <laughs> well, I've got nothing else. That's <laughs> well, it's been fun. I've ran, out, I've, ran out, I've ran out of things to say. If you want to ask us any questions about this episode or anything else, though, you can tweet us. What's the uh, the turn chuckle? Oh well, uh, at Grapple Arcade on uh, on Twitter because um, I've currently I'm currently taking over the Grapple Arcade uh, Twitter for the time being and uh, turn chuckle on Instagram where I show off bits of my collection and announce guests and stuff like that. 
Um, a actual guest announcement uh, for next week uh, is my cat. Uh, no, is um, uh, I'm interviewing the uh, the former uh, designer of logos, merchandise, etc. Um, uh, Tom Fleming, uh, not the actor Tom Fleming. Um, let's make that clear. Uh, no, there was another Tom Fleming um, who we'll call Tom Fleming Two, um, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I was hoping you meant like use a triple A wrestler. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that's going to be a really fun. I, I love interviewing people who, who are on the periphery of wrestling as well because you get to ask some really nerdy questions about merchandise and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully, uh, based on other episodes like with uh, the guy from Silver Vision and all that superb kind of episode that by the way. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, one of the things is if there's anybody listening in who's just heard these like double act ones of us. Like Paul has done loads of interviews. I would really recommend going back to the Silver Vision one. That's my favourite. And if you're a British wrestling fan, you definitely have a relationship with watching Silver Vision and like when they were whether it was the tapes or whether it was the DVDs that came later. Like that is a lot of my memory of WWF. Not even watching on the telly is <laughs> watching it on them tapes. And I got to ask him so many niche nerdy questions as well, and it definitely uh, resonated as well. And people seem to enjoy that. So yes. With uh, with that, um, want to thank you all for tuning in, and uh, we will be back next week with topic slightly up in the air at the moment. We'll keep you hanging on that, and we'll make. Yeah, that's what we're going to do the. Oh, we're going to announce it. Oh, we'll tease it. We'll tease we'll, it. We'll then. tease it. <laughs> we'll tease it. <laughs> so what is the? Oh, and also, if you, if you, I've pissed you off at all, which I'm sure I have, I don't care. But you can <laughs> you can tell me to go fuck myself at Geordie Cowboy Al. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on on Twitter, feel free. I'm sure that there's some wrestler or angle you love that I've shit on. So feel free to come and get told the fuck off. I wouldn't worry. He does that on the me. internet. He does that with me every time we meet. So um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that, we will see you all next time. Bye.